So, do you like podcasts? Do you like movie podcasts? Yes! 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 If so, check out All Things Film, a collection of the best film, TV and movie podcasts on the internet. Groovy. Film Rave, it was only a pound. The podcast on Fire Network, Daily Grindhouse, Mass, Movie Side, UK, and of course, Film Sploitation. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. What? Anyway, all the best podcasts, film and TV related, under one roof. That's all things film. Boys and girls, go back to your studies. Believe me, nothing in life is free. Well, oak and dread, Batman. All Things Film is 100% free, and you can find out more on iTunes, search All Things Film, or online, allthingsfilm.thefilmpodcast.co.uk. Oh, sorry, I think I must have pressed the wrong button. Is anyone left? Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Welcome to Taiwan War 12 on the Ghostly Face and Little Hero. And, uh, you know, we're dudes. We love the ladies. But we're also dudes into Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema that features kick-ass ladies. No, that's that's rather hot, actually. But it isn't se- sexual or sensual as such, uh, if you break it down. And uh, these are ladies that could probably take your head off if you don't behave. So, uh, whenever watching an Angela Mao movie, or in the case of uh, our leading lady in the two movies tonight, Pauli Shan Kwan, uh, you sit there and behave as they do their thing. And you, you respect and admire what they do, because uh, if they throw through the screen, they will probably take your head off. So, uh, uh, the movies are 1973's The Ghostly Face and 1978's Little Hero. One of those movies requires, possibly... Uh, some weed of some kind, or it'll make you feel like you smoked up big time before watching it. Uh, that's what I got. You know, that's the feeling I got. So uh, it's a good kind of uh, free high one of the movies gives you, at least me. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. And uh, uh, so uh, Taiwan Reefer Madness is ahead, you know, and uh, nothing, nothing. <laughs> Nothing better than Taiwan Reefer Madness. So here we go. I'm Kenny B. And with me, as always, having a great time already is uh, Todd Statman. So welcome, buddy. Hey, bro. Well, you said we started out saying we're dudes. So I thought it was appropriate to say, hey, bro, how's it, what, how's it hanging? <laughs> we are so super old, by the way, trying to like, yeah, how, how do we old. use these phrases properly? Like, how's it yeah. <laughs> hanging? <laughs> yeah, how is, yeah, how is it hanging? How is it? Hanging. And all I, all the stoner talk I know of, I learned from Up in Smoke, you know, because I know that movie inside and out, mm-hmm. the Cheech and Chong movie. Like, we got a squirrel, yeah, in, man. <laughs> yeah, we're really baking in here, man. <laughs> this shit ain't shit is my favorite quote, <laughs> Cheech and Chong. Right? Uh, 
I smoked like half a bowl and I haven't gotten a buzz yet. <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, I'm really psyched to be talking about Polly Shane Kwan tonight. She's one of my very favorite stars of world cinema. I, 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 and I don't take that statement lightly. I, I love her and I love both of these movies, I've got to say. It's funny with Polly. She's immensely popular and I like her too, but I, I'm not really sure why. Um, she seems like such an underground um fan favorite you know she's um and we, we'll talk about that uh, but uh, i i love yeah. that she's uh always talked of in um in, in great regard and what have you and uh and, and she mm-hmm. deserves it but it's uh, kind of on the fringe because she never broke out like a like an angela mao or anything but i can't i i'm not sure why that is either it's kind of a mystery to me because i find her so appealing i mean she is a fringe she, for some reason she is a fringe uh, cult figure, but she has, to me, I think what, you know, she's very charming, very appealing, and a really exciting performer. There's nothing about her screen presence that doesn't uh, merit her being, uh, you know, a huge cult figure, but for some reason, you're, you're right, she's not, you know, she's not as well known as she should be. Maybe it has something to do with working in Taiwan for the majority of her career, even though she, yes. as we yes. talked about, got her first role was like uh, the greatest exposure you can ask for. Uh, but uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that very, very shortly. This is um, a quick one, if you will. We're diving into stuff uh, really quickly. But first of all, some brief contact information. This is Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. This show and the bonus episodes, uh, all the other shows uh, uh, and the bonus episodes uh, are there as well. Uh, email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We are also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF Network is our page that you can leave a like on and increase our likes there on Facebook. And uh, most of the interaction goes on, on in the discussion group. Uh, so follow the link on that page or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar and that will get you the group. Tweet us at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire and follow us, obviously. And uh, my writing of, uh, among other things, uh, Taiwanese reefer madness or Taiwan black movies, uh, sogoodreviews.com. And I also do little video reviews, little spoken video reviews uh, on sleazykvideo.com. I also review category free movies and uh, and uh, cut and paste exploitation, if you will, ninja exploitation, Richard Harrison exploitation, mm. <laughs> essentially. Um, <laughs> And, uh, Harris exploitation. I, I, I like like that, but uh, Richard Harrison's exploitation uh, just feels um, a lot more uh, respectful because Godfrey Ho didn't respect Richard Harrison, so someone gotta. So if you're gonna name yeah, exploitation after the guy, then uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but that's uh, from the past episode. We had a big old Richard Harrison uh, bender there, if you will, and uh, that was good fun. Uh, we're on iTunes as well. Oh, by the way, I'm on Twitter. Twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. Follow my nonsense over there. Taiwan or is on iTunes. And uh, rate and comment if you have the time. Uh, we would very much appreciate your feedback over there. But if you don't uh, like downloading podcasts to your preferred device, then uh, there is Stitcher Radio available online, but also the application for your iPhone, iPad, or Android is uh, there in your respective app stores uh, free. And once you're in Stitcher, type in Taiwan or to get the latest uh, shows but if you like us 
a lot or even not a lot, <laughs> then add us to your favorites if you want uh, easy access to any upcoming shows. So thank you for your support over there. And finally, from my side, uh, we always plug the wonderful blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles that uh, often uh, locates the uh, source movies behind all of these IFD or Filmark cut and paste uh, movies because the source movies deserve a shout out. Uh, uh, especially in this day and age when you can actually find some info on uh, whatever Taiwanese movie was Taiwanese movie was used for a Richard Harrison movie or whatever Thai movie uh, was used uh, that uh, info is important and I personally am such a nerd that I uh, can't um, get enough of such uh, information so has anyone yet done a Richard Harrison fan site I, I I should probably just look for it rather than ask you it seems like something that needs to be done it should be out there in some shape or form i just have a feeling it might have been created once and is not updated anymore uh, uh but maybe right. more fan sites for godfrey ho rob and then that becomes sort of a mm -hmm. richard harrison fan site i suppose sort of i'd like to see a site that covers his ifd work but also covers all the uh, all the italian work that he did you know he's given the world a lot of entertainment over his career absolutely you know but yeah maybe there's some old crappy GeoCity site about uh, <laughs> Richard Harrison. I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. That's a pull, that GeoCity. Like, uh, is GeoCity even around anymore? Because <laughs> I remember that that was like a free, uh, free like, host for uh, websites. Yeah, there, well, there was a great uh, app uh, where you could GeoCityize your website. Oh, wow. Uh, um, where you just put in, have you seen that you can put in your, I, I bet it's still around, you just put in the URL of your site, and then you get this version of your site with all these horrible GIFs and moving graphics and like, you know, uh, just, it looks like a GeoCity site circa like 1996 or something like that. It's hilarious. When the you, internet you was uh, mind-blowing. We're loading a picture <laughs> for five <laughs> right, minutes. Exactly. Whoa, dude, that picture is moving. It's like... <laughs> and it's like two or three very choppy frames, as a matter of fact. Right. You know, it's not right, one of these exactly. wonderfully uh, like uh, flowing, uh, flowing gifts that you get nowadays. It's like two, two movements. Woohoo! <laughs> and finally, Todd, you have some endeavors, including your blog, so and your YouTube endeavors, and what have you, and and another podcast. So go ahead and plug some of those. Uh, yeah, so you can find me, as always, mouthing off about world cult cinema on my blog, Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill. That is Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill, one word, dot blogspot, dot com. I also write for the great Teleport City, uh, which is Teleport, te Teleport, uh, Teleport, hyphen, city, dot com. Uh, and I also... Uh, do the Infernal Brains podcast with Tars Tarkas of TarsTarkas.net. We just did a great episode with Carol of the Cultural Gutter about ladies from space, so please check that out. And then there's Fighting Femmes, Fiends, and Fanatics, the web series that I've been doing, and I will freely admit that we've really been lagging in getting this new episode up, but it will be up soon, I promise. And lastly, uh, one thing I'm really excited about, I don't know when this episode is going to go live, but starting in March, I will be hosting uh, live movie tweet-alongs uh, once a month, uh, the second Tuesday of every month. 
that's something I've enjoyed doing with the drive-in mob on Thursday nights. Now, uh, for our, this might be tough for our European listeners because it's going to be taking place at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday nights, which is probably like 4 o'clock in the morning where you are. But, uh, you know, for those that can partake, the first one is going to be uh, Fury of the Silver Fox with Ooh. Pearl Chang Ling. Yeah. And then, uh, and if you've missed that one, the next one is going to be a crazy Japanese tokusatsu movie called uh, Attack of the Super Monsters, which Ooh. would be a lot of fun. So, uh, movie boner right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that one was, uh, it's, it's bonerific, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, I, anybody who is able to, to partake, it's going to be a lot of fun. Everyone's welcome. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just come in, use the, check out the site. There's a site actually, it's called the 40 K monthly movie shout down. If you go to shout hyphen down.com, you'll see a schedule of all the movies that are coming up and you can get the hashtags you need and just get all the instructions on how to participate. It's very simple. All you need is a Twitter account basically and, and, uh, access to YouTube. So hashtag uh, bonerific. The hashtag boner, you know, just boner. That will get you a timeline yeah. of, uh, of, uh, yeah. of, uh, of some color. Yeah, definitely. Uh, wait a minute. What, what are yeah. we tweeting about again? It's about variety. It's about variety. Uh, so that is my exhaustive list and of things that are going on right now. Oh, and I also... <laughs> no, it's not done yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I, I also just guested on the um, Monster Island Resort podcast. Uh, Miguel uh, just let me take over the mic and sound off about he wanted to know what uh, sort of the philosophy behind my blog was and basically what the habit of mine uh, is that draws me to the films that I write about. So um, he probably regretted it, but that's exactly what I did. And uh, so if you want to check that out, that's the Monster Island Resort podcast, which I think can be found uh, everywhere good uh, podcasts are downloaded, basically. So, okay, now I'm done. And we'll, we'll like, now, now, now you are down. Actually, he, yeah. he has the shutdown of Todd, not the shutdown. Yeah. <laughs> shutdown. No, I'm the just shut, kidding. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll link to all those endeavors, including that podcast uh, guest spot and what have you. So people can uh, check that out and uh, through a direct link in the show post. So uh, yeah. check that out. I, I, I'm sure Ken sometimes wishes he could administer an electrical shock through Skype so that I could, so he could shut me up when I'm on my, my plug. You know, I'm, I'm like I'm like 50% uh, done with the patent, so you're very right. It's coming. Uh, <laughs> okay. I got an online cattle prod in the work. <laughs> it's gonna be sweet. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, people uh, probably want to uh, use that against me too because I go right, blah, exactly. blah, 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 Taiwanese movies blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, but that's uh, what I do. So let's jump right into it. The ghostly face from 19, 1973. Uh, plot from IMDb. Um, because um, I, I couldn't really find many plots, and I hate writing plots myself. So uh, so here we go. When ghostly face, uh, a guy who has a monster mask, uh, kills a woman's father and steals his sword, she sets off for revenge, and that would be. Polly Shankwan, uh, who wants revenge. Uh, she is unaware that Ghostly Face isn't the killer, but has been set up by a band of pirates. 
I suppose that's true. Pirates. I know it's not. It's not a seafaring picture, this or anything. It's not yeah. the pirates in that regard. But there is a guy with an eye patch, though, so that spells pirate in movie language. I I, I can get on board with that uh, yeah. that determination. Absolutely. Um, along the way, the woman rescues a girl who was taken by the pirates, and the pair set off together to find out what's really going on. You know, what's really going on? Like a betrayer movie man. Could like uh, <laughs> should do it that way too. Like simplify it. Like this summer, find out what's really going on. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. would love for someone to tell me what is really going on. Not just this summer, but you know, pretty much any season you pick. Please Th- tell that me. That would be like um, they could do like this uh, very vague like ad campaign for something. Like place it, place it ads on bus bus stops. Like. Find mm. out soon what's really going on. Like, what is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> uh, but uh, what's going on here is uh, us uh, talking about Polly Shang Kwan. You know, it's only suitable to give a basic uh, biography of the leading lady from the two movies. And uh, so she was born in Taiwan in 1949. And she's, uh, as Todd alluded to earlier, is quite a popular kung fu actress and certainly had a breakthrough and iconic roles uh, along the way. But uh, as, I, as I touched upon, we don't remember her having a big, as big of a splash akin to a Angela Mao, for instance. But uh, I really I think it comes down to the fact that her exposure wasn't through these uh, big Golden Harvest movies, but rather she stayed in Taiwan for uh, for a large part of her career. So I think that, that has something to do with it. And, and certainly I don't think many of her movies got... Uh, an exposure like a when Taekwondo strikes or Hapkido got, for instance, in America. So, yeah. so, so that's just like Angela Mao had a chance internationally to make a splash because uh, they, these movies were acquired, and uh, a lot of the uh, Polish yeah. and Kwan movies were acquired but not uh, exposed as such. Do you think it might be because Polly? Uh, most of her films are sort of poly vehicles. Like she's most poly. If you watch a Polly Shang Kwan film, it's generally she's the main character. Um, and she didn't star. Uh, I mean, she never had a film where she starred opposite a Bruce Lee or a Jackie Chan or a big male star mm-hmm. who would have drawn the you know the larger fan base in. I mean, that's just I'm just talking out of my ass basically, but. You know, I was wondering if, you know, she definitely didn't have a an enter to the dragon to introduce her to a, a world audience. You know, her films were a lot more, I guess her films in themselves are a little more quirky and definitely more fe- driven by her personality, which mm-hmm. might not have attracted the male audience the way. Yeah, who, who knows? I have no counter theory to that. There. And anyway, sometimes also uh, you catch... Uh, like uh, this perfect timing in terms of uh, you make a movie that doesn't seem out of the ordinary and then sure. just uh, the market kind of uh, craves it all of a sudden and mm-hmm. um, but i believe it's some i believe it has to do with the fact that uh, um if we look at a global uh, thing that i, I can't name a polyquan movie that got like a u.s like grindhouse uh, cinema exposure and i think yeah. Angela Mao was definitely a part of that uh, sort of um circuit almost there because I, I, yeah. I, I can't believe when Taekwondo Strikes was uh, out there. Uh, Sting of the Dragon Masters uh, was the mm-hmm. US title of that. So I'd imagine that being very popular and she, you know, literally, I think one review said that uh, that's where I kind of stole my intro from that uh, Angela Mao could probably rip your head off if, you know, mm-hmm. if you watch Sting of the Dragon Master or Hapkido or something like that. So, 
but uh, her Polish movies are out there, so it's not like she's uh, super obscured or anything. But uh, the start of her career, uh, she joined the United Film Corporation in 1966 and began studying martial arts. Uh, quickly acquiring black belts in taekwondo, karate, judo, judo. So she like acquired skills early that made her, you know, able to perform the action and uh, be slotted into that kind of genre. And uh, that made her, you know, that, that would mean like a fast track to movie appearances looming. And indeed, indeed uh, that happened. She got to debut uh, as either she was either 16 or 17 years old in one of the very best wuxia pians ever. By one of the best directors in that genre ever, and that movie was none other than King Who's 1967 classic Dragon Inn or Dragon Gate Inn. Lovely, I say lovely. Of course, it is a lovely film, but just a great, great, uh, easily approachable uh, classic uh, that established Mm -hmm. so much cool stuff uh, that King Who had done already in uh, Shaw Brothers in movies like Come Drink with Me. But one of the like key images in that movie is that tense uh, inn standoff if you will, many characters arriving at an inn, various villains and good guys and various um, like um, reasons for being there and it's uh, that tension was so excellent when mm-hmm. King Hu was uh, doing it and Polly Shankwan is uh, this um, you know, already she got that fire and fury in her eyes. You know, she right. made such a like a big splash in my eyes in that regard. Yeah. Like you, you, she has sold her like um, powerful aura. I'm gonna out myself now as not having seen Dragon Gate in, um, but she is the female lead, isn't she? She's probably the the most prominent female character in the movie, yes, right? Yes, but okay. it's not uh, yeah. only her movie. She shares um, uh, like a co-lead with uh, one of the male, uh, mm. yeah, one of the male cast members. So it's not me. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's not her and a bunch of supporting characters. It's uh, right. uh, maybe two or three leads, if we're being really honest here. Uh, the movie's yeah. out there, so uh, you can see it in widescreen and Mandarin. Uh, so it's uh, Dragon Inn is thankfully uh, preserved in uh, some shape or form. Okay. And it's easy to uh, approach to because it's a short movie as well. It's really, really simple. Uh, um, but even when King Who made like prolonged movies, if you will, The Fate of Lee Khan is this two-hour movie. Again, mm. all almost solely set in an inn, and uh, like the power struggles within it, and uh, the tension is always like always superb. And uh, yeah, uh, I love King Who for that. Yeah, um, as I've. Uh... Heard it described, Dragon Gate Inn was a surprise success. No one expected it to do as well as it did, and it was an enormous hit. It was a pan-Asian hit throughout Asia, Um, and that Polly, as a result of that, became an instant celebrity. Like with her first film, she was like the became one of the personifications of the heroic swordswoman. Yes, so she was like a star immediately. Um, in Asia, not not here. I don't know what kind of penetration Dragon Gate Inn had in the American market. I mean, in 1967, you weren't seeing a, a lot of uh, uh, Chinese language martial arts films making their way into the American market. So no, it, it certainly took King Boxer to change that, but uh, that was way later yeah, when Five Minutes of Death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Polly, you know, she became she, she was in a movie that 
feature genre staple for years to come, and therefore probably would uh, you know be a constant presence in 60s and 70s uh, movies in Taiwan and uh, Hong Kong as well. And there's some highlights uh, for me. Uh, she appears alongside uh, Jimmy Wang Yu uh, in uh, The Brave and the Evil, 1972. Mm. So that so that's like a co-lead film where it's not only her. Uh, because if you have Jimmy Wang Yu there, he's not gonna play second fiddle to anyone. You know, he's, uh, I love Jimmy Wang Yu, but he was a bit of an asshat too, so, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but, uh, it's, uh, lovable despite, you know, it's great to see them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in a movie called Back Alley Princess for Golden Harvest over in Hong Kong, which mm-hmm. apparently bagged her in Best Actress Award in Taiwan. The thing is, Back Alley Princess is a boring ass film. Um, <laughs> you know, Paul is fine, but it's a two hour, like, uh, comedy, that did don't need to be two hours, and it's a low yeah. waste fault. I hate with a passion most of low waste movies. He directed the big boss of Fist of Fury and what have you. He's kind of a shitty director, is he? He is, he is, and he doesn't yeah, know when yeah. to stop, you know. And uh, yeah. and uh, you know, without Bruce Lee, those movies that I just mentioned, they would be uh, you know forgettable completely. I mean, Fist of Fury yeah. is one of his best, like uh, made movies because it mm. uh, uh but otherwise the low way just never knew where to stop yeah. and uh, back alley princess is like watch it for Polly, but prepare to be bored to tears <laughs> by it, you know but i'm glad she won something and she was recognized and as a comedic presence because she she it is a comedy have you ever seen the sequel to back alley princess it's called chinatown capers no um, i mean i would I approach it uh, based on that title alone but if it's the same I don't know. Uh, it's 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 pretty goofy. It's I don't remember it as being an ec- extra long. I'm kind of biased towards it because it was actually shot on location in San Francisco's Chinatown really? in the early '70s. So it's like it's a great you know a great window into the Chinatown of that era, and I remember it from that era because I grew up in the Bay Area and my parents you oh. know used to go to Chinatown for fancy dinners you know to celebrate family occasions and stuff so it was neat to see Polly Shanquan walk in the streets of you know these streets that I was familiar with and going into these businesses that I remember so I like it for that and uh but there's some really bad stuff. There's a blackface sequence in it that oh. is just so wrong, where she's wearing like an Afro wig and, is, and her face is painted black and she's trying to talk jive talk and it's pretty, that's pretty painful. So I would advise, very advisedly recommend this. I mean, I, would, uh, I, I wouldn't give it a, a, an unqualified recommendation, but it's interesting. It's an interesting film. A lot of bad comedy in it, though, that's right. for sure. Uh, but I, I, I'm a sucker for Golden Harvest of that period, regardless. I, I can approach any of the them movies, uh, but uh, obviously some uh, are fav- more favorably remembered than others. So uh, uh, yeah. I'm definitely making a note of Chinatown Capers because I, I had no idea they made a sequel to that shitty ass film. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, what Polly also did is uh, to mix period martial arts with a modern action image. Obviously, Chinatown Capers is a modern day action mm-hmm. movie, you know. Uh, and uh, Furthermore, uh, we in terms of highlights, we have tonight, uh, tonight's movie, The Ghostly Face. Uh, also, the bona fide Taiwanese classics and classic, and one of the craziest, most colorful wuxia pians ever made, called The Ghost Hill, from uh, veteran director Ding Sin Sai. 
just uh, one of the very yeah one of the very best. I was blown away by the creativity. Uh, like mm. hugely intense in terms of being a fantasy movie. You know, it's not like they fly a little bit. It features tons of terrific set design. Like uh, one of the best is like this ice prison, and that, that movie looked like it had so much budget behind it, and they they made it so appealing. And for an early seventies movie. Was so sharp, and I'm sad it isn't talked of enough. But uh, it was only in the last few years that a widescreen uh, version finally became available and subtitled too. So maybe that has something to do with it. Oh, what's that called? What? Which film is that you're talking the, about? The Ghost Hill. Okay, I've never seen that. That sounds uh, like that's, that's something I need to see for sure. Oh yeah, I, I'm pro- probably bringing it to the shows sometime because I think it's uh, uh, it blew me away when I saw it, and mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot for these to actually blow me away. It was like mm-hmm. uh, jaw on the floor type of thing. Wow, this exists! Uh, I'm very happy that it uh, was uh, made and all of that. Uh, she also appeared in uh, more lighter roles, Insanity, if you will, Taiwan Reef of Madness, like uh, Little Hero that we're also discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, she made a movie or two for um, a kind of Taiwanese, like independent uh, master, low budget master, Joseph Quo. Uh, she appeared in the 18 Bronzemen. Uh, and uh, I really like uh, Joseph Quo as a director I'm also going to highlight on this show because uh, many people know Joseph Quo from Dating Bronze Man, uh, Mystery of Chess Boxing, uh, Seven Grandmasters, and uh, for good reason. I mean, they're great uh, low budget Taiwanese movies, but like in the late 60s, early 70s, he was like, to me, uh, making really great swordplay dramas that like made him like only a notch below a legend like King Hu in terms of uh, mm-hmm. filmmaking quality. And uh, I, I love that with Joseph Quo that he was not just this low budget guy who could make. Uh, he had like like when presented with budget and like um, yeah when presented with budget he could make really classy swordplay dramas. So uh, and uh, and those are also made available uh, were made available a few years ago on Taiwanese DVD. So you can finally see uh, the variation and the versatility and in, uh, in Joseph Quo's um, filmography. Um, Polly did a lot of, uh, in the late 70s, she did a sort of a, a, a spate of these really surreal kung fu comedies of which Little Hero is one, which I think for a lot of people, me included, uh, are the films that she's really associated with or people have that connection in their minds, like she's the, the girl in the cra- those crazy kung fu movies. And that's definitely how I came to her. But then I've seen a lot of her other stuff since then so i really appreciate her range but i think it's films like little hero that really stick in a lot of people's minds when they hear of uh Polly shane kwan and if you've seen little hero you probably know <laughs> you can understand why that is and yeah a great work was willing to go like uh any place with her image, you know, including like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, essentially doing serious and silly roles. And I, I always appreciate anyone uh, uh, like letting go of uh, like any vanity or any ego and just uh, go where the work is and like uh, dare to be yeah. silly. Silly. I always yeah. respect that. Um, yeah, she always seems to be having a good time. It does. It, she definitely isn't condescending to the material in those movies. Uh, and I do think it's, yes, I think she had quite a work ethic. She did like uh, uh, over 60 films in a not very long career. I mean, she had retired by the early 80s, I think. I think she made her last film in 82. So between 67 and 82, 
60, 70 movies, is, that's not a bad track record. And she made 22 films in 1977 alone. So this was a woman who really liked to work. So if it involved fighting rubber octopuses on the beach <laughs> and tap dancing on their heads, I'm uh, <laughs> she, yeah, she, she'd do it with gusto. And that's one of the things that's so lovable about her is that she really, you know, she really seems to have fun with her roles, never con- never condescends to it. She always makes the best of it. Uh, it's always enjoyable to watch her. And even though she's a really formidable martial artist, uh, too, and I think that's another thing that's appealing about her as opposed to Angela Mao or, or a lot of the other swordswoman heroes. She didn't have the Peking opera background or the dance background that Ching Pei Pei did. I mean, she was just trained in pure martial arts. And so I feel like her her fights are uh, a lot more hard-hitting a lot of the times. Um, and I find that very appealing. It's kind of an appealing a counterpoint to her sort of sunny, you know, uh, you know, cheerful disposition on screen that she's also this completely kick-ass fighter. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't have summed it up better myself. I thoroughly agree. And uh, as you said, she did retire. And at one point, maybe still, I, I can't confirm that uh, she um, either lived or lives in the U.S. Uh, on the West Coast, mm-hmm. nonetheless. So, uh, yeah. you know, cl- closer to you than me, um, uh, yeah. Todd. M- maybe she went back to San Francisco, man. Uh, she's one of these figures who, when you you know, when you try and find information about her, you just find these same tidbit, little tidbits, over and over again, and not a lot of uh, deep background. But the thing I keep hearing is that she opened a Chinese restaurant in California. Sometimes I've heard it said that she opened a Chinese restaurant in Los Angeles, and sometimes I heard it said that she opened a Chinese restaurant in San Francisco. Hmm. Um, you know, which uh, I definitely like to find out where it was, you know, but it's very hard to find out. But it, yeah, if she's in, uh, if she's in San Francisco, I mean, I, I want, I, if you've ever seen that uh, documentary, Deadly China Dolls, there's an interview with her and it looks like it's taking place in a restaurant. I don't know if it's her restaurant, but it would be about that period. She looks like she's in her maybe early 40s or something like that really like dolled up in a good way yes but but because you don't like that was never her image on screen to be like this um dolled up girl obviously she is a good looking woman but uh really uh, that her role is never called for that so it's like hey that's cool and she speaks uh, wonderful english too and uh yeah well especially since she's often uh, either playing a boy or playing a a woman masquerading as a boy, or in the, yeah, or in the case of uh, oh, what what is that film? Oh, Fight for Survival, where she is a a girl who starts turning into a boy because <laughs> of the magical properties of the kung fu that she's practicing. Wow. But no matter what her gender situation is, she's always. Presented very, you know, she always has makeup on and little hero. She's playing a boy, but she has braids and, you know, uh, there's no mistaking her for a boy. Uh, But everybody calls her lad and young man and, you know. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's the magic of um, kind of uh, staples of uh, Hong Kong and Taiwanese cinema. But yes. but you're right, they don't cover her up like a Cheng Pei Pei and do a reveal later where like and right. where she lets her hair down. Uh, we never get that. It's like, oh well, hi, I'm a guy. 
Like, uh-huh. you deal with it. Like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're Polly Kwan. I'll do whatever you say, man. Right. Yeah. Like your mini toga. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we, we, we love her. Uh, you're also here told to tell us kind of the background of the ghostly face uh, because uh, it isn't just some, like, Taiwanese conjured quickie. The history no. runs a lot deeper than I knew because I've never... Um, the cinema that you're about to, like, reference, it's never something I've... Uh, roads have went down if you will and uh, shame on me possibly so the floor is yours there is background to the ghostly face so um all right so i've I've had a drink of water i'm going to take a deep breath um yeah this is a a unique film in Polly shankwan's filmography uh it's a co-production between between taiwan and indonesia and it was filmed in indonesia with a mixed taiwanese and indonesian cast and definitely because of that, it definitely has a look that's different from your typical Taiwan martial arts film. You know, you don't see the same quarries, you know, in yeah. forests that they always have the fights in. It's a tropical setting. And also, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like any ex- good exploitation movie, it takes advantage of an exotic setting by having a lot of what you might call travelogue footage. So there's some long sequences depicting... Uh, Indonesian ritual, which are really interesting. I think it makes the film, uh, gives the film a really interesting flavor. Um, but uh, it was produced by Union Films on the Taiwanese side, who Polly was contracted to at the time, and on the Indonesian side by uh, an outfit called CV Sejaktera Film, which was the company of a dude named Benny Suerman, who was a very powerful film importer and theater magnate, who is one of the richest men in Indonesia. Um, you'll find that a lot of uh, Golden Age uh, Indonesian exploitation films were produced by film importers, because that was really where the money was at that time in Indonesia, in importing foreign films, especially American films, into Indonesia. And then the government imposed a quota uh, on the importers and decreed that they had to produce a certain number of locally made films for everyone they imported. So there was mm-hmm. a big explosion of exploitation cinema in the early 80s that lasted through the early 90s. So, so Ken, you haven't watched a lot of Indonesian films. Have you ventured into that at all? No, and not like consciously. Maybe so I, I watched some I didn't know of it. So I mean, but I, I'm, I'm always interested in... Uh, Essentially, uh, you know, crazy, bizarre movies from all over Asia. I mean, uh, I, I might um, uh, come off as very dumb and ignorant here, but uh, where, where was Mystics in Bali made? That's a that's an Indonesian film. Because that's like, a, if I think that's a movie that's talked about, I'll like to see that. You know, I, I, I kind of, yeah. I know Indonesia probably is associated with everything, every kind of genre under the, under the sun, if you will. But I'm, if I'm going into that direction, I'm probably going into the like uh, horror exploitation B movie direction yeah. first. They do uh, they do sleaze and action really well, so I think there's you, there's a lot for you. <laughs> Judging from your taste in Taiwanese movies, I think there's a lot for you. Uh, a couple movies I'd recommend are, are Virgins from Hell. Uh, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> Jungle, Virgin Force, basically any Indonesian movie with the word virgin in the title I think you would like. There's a, a, a woman in prison movie, which I haven't, 
quite checked out yet, but it's called Escape from Hellhole, which is supposed to be pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, about an ill-fated, you know, trip to the planet Uranus, as far as I can tell. Oh! Oh, Oh, dear Lord. But then there's all the great, yeah, the Susanna um, horror films, uh, Queen of Black Magic, uh, Mystics in Bali, Susanna's not in that, but that's a great one. Lady Terminator, yes. one of the greatest exploitation films of all time, I swear to God. Said with um, no irony or sarcasm. Said with at all. no irony at all. That film is crazy. You have to see that film. I mean, I don't want to make this all about Indonesian cinema, but I, I to reel it back in... The Ghostly Face is a film that combines uh, all the best qualities of Taiwanese action cinema and all the best qualities of Indonesian action cinema to really fine effect. It's a it's a marriage made in heaven because uh, you know both of them both industries tend to make uh, very fast paced, very hard hitting action films, and I think that's definitely in evidence here. This is a furiously action-packed movie um and the the uh the indonesians definitely have a penchant for gore so it's also a lot gorier than your typical taiwan martial arts movie oh i also wanted to mention that there's also a production credit for the pd bogasari flour mill uh just to give you a flavor of the peculiar you know the peculiarities of third world film financing the uh, flour mill got in on this um so that so that while the title of this uh film in in uh the chinese language market was the ghostly face the indonesian release was called panji tengarak uh and that's the name the indonesian name of the lead male character called the ghostly face in the china in the taiwanese version uh called Panji Tengarak, which translates to Panji the Skull Face. That's a played... movie right there, dude. Like uh, an English title of like an Indonesian exploitation movie. Panji the Skull Face, you know. That, 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 I'm in that movie. I'm, I'm yeah, in that movie. I yeah. want to see that movie too. Yeah, and he's uh, uh, he is actually based on a Indonesian comic book character who was created by an Indonesian artist named Hans Jalarda, or I'm sorry, Jaladara, in 1968. Um, Indonesia has quite a rich comic book and pulp culture, and a lot of its action films are drawn from comics and pulps as uh, source material. Um, and in the case of Panji Tengrak, he's uh, he's sort of a, a hero of the downtrodden, and he mm. wears a, this fright mask that looks kind of like a mutilated skull face with these huge buck teeth. Um, so he's the masked Avenger character, and there were and he's played by a Indonesian actor named Dedi Sutomo, who was a big action hero and has since gone into politics. And I think as recently as 2004, he was uh, sitting on the Indonesian Senate. Wow. And, and then the other big Indonesian star in this, she plays the character of Annie Ma, as she's named in the. Version I saw is uh, her name is 
Uh, and I just drew a blank. God, I was doing so good. Uh, <laughs> Lenny, I think her name was Lenny Marlena is her name. And she was a, a beauty contest winner, a beauty queen who went into film and actually ended up, uh, winning some awards and being uh, a pretty acclaimed performer. So there's that. So, so we have a mix of Indonesian and, uh, and Taiwanese stars here. Uh, and I, I thought that, uh, you know, you'll notice that Polly has, is really up front and center in this movie, which, uh, made me think that maybe there was an Indonesian cut that was maybe a little different where Deddy Sutomo was a little bit more front and center. But the descriptions I could find of the plot on Indonesian sites is very similar to what you see on HKMDB or, right. you know. So it, that may not be the case. It might be just a case of it being very... Because Deddy Sutomo definitely figures more in the second half of the film. Maybe it was just a very judicious separation of responsibilities because i mean um dragon and gate in was a huge hit throughout southeast asia so i'm sure polly was huge in indonesia as well so she was probably as much of a selling point as uh you know the character of panji tenkarak who i will try to call ghostly face from now on <laughs> uh but i like saying panji ten correct uh but i think she was probably as big a draw as as was Deddy sutomo um i think that is all the background i i have for this and it's movie. Uh, plentiful for heaven's sake i mean it's a it's a wonderful perspective to for you know taiwanese movie fans that this you know co-productions weren't unusual but uh, the fact that uh this uh like detailed like history is available for the movie that it wasn't this like uh let's just invent some guy in the face that would be good no you know shoot yeah. it cut print moving on uh right. but really i i like i like history like that i like nuggets like that i'm a horrible reader i can't learn stuff at all well but when it comes to this stuff i absorb it like you read about so you know uh, good on you this is uh fantastic stuff and uh it sparked my uh, sparked my like uh uh, that I had to make notes to get some of these uh, other crazy movies because they were or are available in uh, in fairly good shape, you know. So um, yeah. Uh, righty, let's uh, jump into the review then. So as for my brief opinion of the ghostly face, it wouldn't be like horrible if after talking it up, it would be like, yeah, this movie sucked ass. <laughs> you know? uh, but no, uh, there's a really primal short opinion for me here. So one that goes like like. Uh, the one that goes like how enjoyable that's a primal opinion <laughs> and also unusual for a Taiwanese cheapie to do it this way because it's a violent delight and one that you really should like reference if you want to like want to see Polly Fury check this movie out mm -hmm. so that's my brief opinion what would you say in short uh, in terms of uh, the ghostly face uh, first of all before we dive dive deep into it uh, well, I think I've I, I've I kind of touched upon it in when I was given the background or on it. Um, I I agree. This is a I I think this is a great film. I really think it's extremely entertaining. It is action packed, um, and it, and also it's it's unusual. It really stands apart from the crowd. It's definitely a little more somber than your typical mm. Polly Shane Kwan. A little more grim. Um, uh, which is not to say that she isn't still very charming and appealing in it, but um, 
and the fact that the the action is is offset, uh, you know, and there's you know there are it's just one uh, fight scene after another where she's paired off against like five fighters, you know, or more. So there's a lot of her her fighting off, you know, a, a small army of fighters. There's a great uh, fight on the water when she's going down the river on a barge and the pirates come at her at first they're snorkeling towards her and they all jump out of the water at the same time it's amazing so there are these really furious and gory fight scenes yeah there's a scene where yeah this guy's face gets totally smashed in there's like swords through everything hands you know uh stomachs and then she has her flower, her little flower darts that she throws at people, which have. Yeah, a, for uh, for some reason, I've forgotten about the flower darts. Uh, that that gives me enough reason to rewatch it. Uh, yeah. But every time I rewatch it, I will. Uh, the only like type of criticism you have is that they. Um, but but not not really criticism. I don't mind it. Is that they want to get as much mileage out of the uh, Indonesian setting as they can, and uh, mm-hmm. because uh, but but the Indonesian setting is beautiful. I mean, starting with uh, all these uh, standing statues and these uh, yes. uh, like uh, almost uh, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, the these uh, like uh, small uh, open structures in the mm-hmm. countryside it looks. Uh, Absolutely. They're like I think they're temple, they're ruins yeah. of old temples. I yes. think is what they are. Though I feel like I should know for sure what they are, so I'm going to educate myself on that. But I, I I take them to be some kind of religious, uh, you know, structure. But yeah, they're yeah. They start to film off the credits. They play over all these pictures of idols, and I kind of love these. Uh, it, it sort of falls into that category of Hong Kong or Taiwan films. I love how they exoticize Southeast Asia, sort of the way that you know, uh, you know, American and British films would exoticize anything in the East, anything in China. Yeah. You know, all those all those black magic films where people go to Thailand and come back. Well, you well know, in those cursed. movies, you don't want to go where they where they are in the movie. In this movie, you kind of want to go to Indonesia. Like that is pretty. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, definitely, yes, it's definitely very alluring, and, and then, there, like I was saying, I love all the scenes of ritual, and they come at very, they come at very evenly spaced uh, junctures in the movie, mm-hmm. um, and, and they offer, like, a sort of meditative pause between all the really violent yeah. action, and it gives the film this very unique poetic feeling i mean there's a scene that is uh of the of the funeral of polly's father um polly's character i i don't know if you got anything else the only thing i ever heard hear her referred to as is fightress law yeah that's the uh, subtitle say that so I'm, yeah. I'm going i'm going with that that's like for dumb people like me uh, that's like association that I can work with. Like, aha, that's Polly Kwan. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, she, right. She's yeah. fighting. She's fighter. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, so the scene where it's her father's funeral and there's uh, this long silent procession along the seaside, and then they there's a scene where she's just sitting on the beach, looking at this giant 
pyre. It's like a towering funeral pyre burning and then collapsing on the beach. And it's just, and there's also a giant bull, which I think is the the body is placed inside. It's a Balinese uh, ceremony, apparently, where they place the body inside this bull effigy, which they also burn. And it's, it's a very poetic, beautiful, somber scene. And, and really, it's uh, that comes back to the fact that this isn't uh, this out of template one A uh, in terms of um, a Taiwanese action martial arts action movie. There's a, the, the the criticism I refer to is just it's very mild because uh, at some point there's way too many like riding shots of uh, pretty environments. Mm-hmm. I, I get that, get that. But then you get later in the movie, like the filmmakers really. Uh, make you immersed into the sights and sounds that mm-hmm. Indonesia in this case offers. It's not like this tired uh, padding, especially the the, the big uh, sequence uh, later in the film. We'll touch upon that later. Uh, uh, but uh, it starts from the beginning like that uh, comfort, like this is different, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the feel is different, the geography is uh, not what you expect. And uh, there's pretty good signs of this rapid-fire uh, editing in a positive way and mm. undercranked action that is actually undercranked in a good way it doesn't look yeah, like this uh, pinball you know pinball game going on here right and, right and the action is actually pretty good i mean the early 70s offered a lot of bashes and a lot of greedy action but even that could feel kind of tired and stale but uh, there's a good kicking exchange with uh, the ghostly face of a stuntman obviously but, yes uh, yeah and uh, and Having established that, plus the fact that Ghostly Face has this grotesque mask, and as he beats up this teacher, the teacher gradually gets more and more bloody. Uh, yes. So it's like it sets up this uh, quite dark, gritty feeling. It's not a simple basher with a lot of, where the stuntmen like spit blood out of, out of their mouths every now and again. It's like people get beat up, and this is pretty violent. Yeah. That we're only five minutes in, essentially. That this is, I've seen a hundred cheap Taiwanese movies. This is. One of the better ones, clearly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and it's an odd choice, uh, yeah, to to do that uh, to show the the fight as being so brutal. Well, I guess actually you're talking about the beginning where yes, it's not yes. it, it's not actually the ghostly face; it's the pirate masquerading as ghostly face. But I think there's a fight at the end where he just beats the kicks the crap out of this guy and it just and it gets to a point where it's like oh my god you know it's almost too much and you know you're not used to that with these hero movies you're seemingly used to like... uh, intact on the vhs print too because uh, yeah. obviously censorship was there in hong kong uh, my uh, version is sourced from hong kong so obviously it would have required censorship if they felt like it but clearly it's a very very um intact and uh, the mix of that like the unusual sides of the, the funeral scene as you said and uh, and uh, you know even though we get a lot of jungle riding it's uh, it is pretty to look at and we have been a short movie it doesn't last for long and we get yeah. uh, you know quick access to seeing polly you know fight with this fury and grit as mm-hmm. he is, as she has dispatches as you said several opponents over and over in several scenes yeah. uh, she's not taking out uh, 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 opponents she kills you know yeah this is uh, not like kicking them and them like oh my god i'm in pain on the ground yeah no <laughs> she exterminates them basically <laughs> yeah 
Very, yeah, very ruthless. Yeah. So the, these multi-wave fight scenes, you know, are, are so much fun. And uh, but it it, it isn't uh, one of these high-flying like swordplay movies. Uh, it they do stray from reality ever so slightly with some you know flying kicks or what have you. But mm. it's uh, there wire-assisted feats here, but it's really grounded and better for it because the violence is more gets to you a lot more effectively because of the fact that mm-hmm. uh, these are not uh, invincible swordsmen uh, akin to little hero where you know there's no violence and people are flying all about the place so. mm-hmm. uh, but but as a film it has a good drive to it uh, and being short helps but uh, you know the this unusual feeling plus great action sequences constant attacks and what have you and the boat scene i think is uh I don't know. I've forgotten a lot about the ending for some reason, but the boat scene is great because the the concept here is not that uh, a lot of these uh, guys uh, snorkeling towards the boat are going to fight on the boat and that's it. You know, all of a sudden, several boats, uh, not just underwater assassins, right. uh, come into play, and it's all of a sudden this is epic. Uh, yes, and. Uh, wonderfully immersive because of it like this is not repetitive at all this is like new ideas almost or rather semi new to old ideas executed very well yeah yeah I agree I agree that's a great scene one thing uh, I forgot to or we forgot to touch upon is the the directors there's a there's both a Taiwanese director and an Indonesian director credited for this the Taiwanese director is Yang Shi Ching, mm-hmm. um, about whom I don't know a whole lot, and then the Indonesian director is uh, get, the name is given as A Harris, initial A Harris. A Harris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about whom I know I I'd never heard of him, uh, but I looking him up, all I could find was I mean it's it's almost as if he foresaw the advent of the internet and adopted the most ungoogleable name possible. But uh, I did find out that he was an actor turned director and that the ghostly face was apparently his first film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it's hard to know how, cause it's not split. It's it, this definitely isn't like an IFD movie where you have the Richard oh. Harrison scenes that take place in, you know, inside, the director's house and then all the stuff that and him, takes and him place on the phone on, or something like on the phone or like yeah, yeah dispatch this goes to yeah. i gotta go now click <laughs> yeah i mean if there were two different units filming this uh it's pretty seamless in how it's all joined together but uh yeah a. a harris is not a name i'm familiar with if you look at uh indonesian action and exploitation films there's like four names that come uh, up over and over again because when Indonesia was thrust into the film industry with the advent of that quota system that the government uh, enforced, uh, there were only so many uh, people qual- with the training necessary to direct a film. So you always see uh, Siswaro Gautama Putra, uh, I'm mispronouncing these names terribly, H. Jut Jalil. Or Liliak Sugio, uh, those are three names that come up over and over again. And it's like you think, oh my God, these three guys directed like every Indonesian movie, and wow. it's almost true. A. Harris, though, that's a new one on me. 
so, but that's who was half responsible for this, at least. And I, I gotta say, he did a, whatever he did, he did a good job because yeah, absolutely, was, even like the yeah. big, uh, the big sequence, uh, the big uh, ritual of theater, or wh- whatever it is, is uh, even immersive mm-hmm. when the movie stops. Uh, with a break from the action to feature mm-hmm. this big ceremony, and I have really no idea what this big ceremony was about. That was so. Do, do you have any idea, and can you describe it then, essentially? Are you talking about when they're in the villain's lair, in the pirate's lair at the end? No, and no, I mean the whole like when there's like hundreds of people gathered and they're oh. like chanting and what have you. Yeah, I don't know what that was. That was really interesting. And there's the one guy with a really guttural, you know, death rock voice who's kind of chanting through all of it. Sounds like he's yelling through a didgeridoo or something like that. That was, yeah, I don't know what that was exactly. And that's in a flashback where there's, where the uh, Lenny Marlina character is talking about how the pirates attacked her village. And that, and that's a really good use of that sort of paw, the, the sort of uh, meditative pause that those rituals create, mm-hmm. because that's very effective because we, we go back, we see her village and it's a, you know, it's obviously sort of a celebratory ritual because the, the mood is very high and yeah. you see her and she's smiling and everyone's happy. And you get like really, and it's so otherworldly. There's, a, you know, I have no idea what it was, but the, the chanting and the costumes and everything, you really get into it. And then the attack happens really abruptly. Like all of a sudden someone keels over with a sword in their back and you're just jerked out of it. <laughs> and, uh, and then the the pirates attack and it's very bloody, um, but it really works. The, the the ritual sort of lulls you into this sort of complacence or the sort of trance state that's broken by this attack, uh, which I thought was very masterfully done. But I wish I could tell you what that. The only thing I was able to trace was the uh, was the cremation ritual, which, as I said, was a was a Balinese cre- uh, cremation ritual uh there is some unfortunate um really uh, no now that i'm thinking they they prepare for a cockfight oh think. yes but i think did it ever happen did they ever cut to the fact that yeah they, yeah they it, it's uh it's not a very graphic cockfight it's obviously a real cockfight and it's yeah. shot in slow motion but they don't i mean i've i've definitely seen worse Watching a lot of Southeast Asian cinema and a lot of Filipino cinema, I've seen a lot of cockfights in movies, <laughs> and I've seen much worse than this one. This one is a little more artfully done in that there's a lot of slow mo. Still upsetting though, because you know that you know these cocks were actually <laughs> these these cocks were fighting. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was a, I forgot about that part. But yeah, there's that. The, the more graphic scene compared to is, yeah, when there is some kind of, uh, again, some ritual in the, la- in the lair of the villain. And at one point, these uh, performers that obviously were hired for the movie oh, yes. uh, start uh, piercing their chests. Yes. Yeah, with these sharp like, sticks. What's going on here, dude? But yeah. you know, they're clearly like performers that know what they're doing. They didn't like get some poor, poor sappy, you know, poor sappy actors yeah. or anything like Piss your chest, man, if you're going to want to eat tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah, no, they looked like they were, yeah, dancers who regularly did that. I saw, I've seen, I think this is an Indonesian movie uh, where they do a similar dance, but they also take knives and they slit their tongues while ah. they're saying. And so I was like cringing because I was thinking, oh, is this, this that movie where they 
slice their tongues, but it wasn't. Yeah, and that's going on. And there's also a lion dance, which looks like a uh, it almost looks like a traditional Chinese ceremony. You know, I just was at the Chinese New Year's parade here in Chinatown, and they have those kind of dra dragon and and uh, lion dances. And that's interesting because that takes place like in the villain's lair right before the big climax. We again pause. And then there's this ritual and this, you know, very pretty long sequence of, of ritual. And then we go right back into the slam bang action. And, and all it is, I mean, and I'm saying that in an in affectionate way, is it, it features uh, basic revenge beats. And that's why yes. it's approachable and easy to follow. And uh, all the better for it that it's, uh, it uses that template, which is old, uh, very, yes. we very well. And uh, and uh, you you feel very uh, satisfied uh, when all was said and done because the the best gory demise they say for lost when essentially a guy's face is just caved in yeah uh, in a gory fashion and uh, as I said maybe maybe off uh, maybe earlier like it's like they hired Lucio Fulci to direct like one shot of this movie yes that was very intense yeah that's what I was talking about that was yeah and that was done by the hero. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes. And that's yeah. And that's uh, gives you a little bit of pause when that happens. But yes, you're right. That's very Fulci-esque. It reminds me of that uh, that Fulci movie where the guy falls down the cliff and you see him hit his face on every rock and like <laughs> loving close up. Uh, but yeah, that was very uh, very intense. I was going to say when you're talking about the plot, the revenge plot of this movie, both of these movies that we're talking about today have the most generic martial arts films plots yeah. imaginable they they almost have the same plot and both films revolve around a stolen sword a coveted sword like this one it's called the precious sword and i can't remember what the sword in little hero is called it was colored possibly like a red or purple sword and we never we never see it or anything you know it's or the the dragon sword uh, uh, uh some shit uh, like that i don't know yeah but it's like <laughs> You know, we, you know when Octa, we, when we get octopus is there on screen, then I don't care about what, what sword right, they were right. protecting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, well, yeah, I mean it's a classic MacGuffin. It's like once it's introduced, it's really just there to set the plot in motion, and who really cares whether they find it or not, or what it really is, you know. So uh, uh, the fe the Phoenix Sword is what it was called, uh, at least in the dubbed version of Little Hero that I saw. So there's that's the a slick of difference in terms of. Uh, Making it better or worse is that it's where it is. It's a sword. <laughs> no, that's a yeah. It's a very definition of a MacGuffin. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's just a plot device. Uh, Enjoy the, the show. Exactly. That's all you need to do. And uh, I'm at the end of my notes. Uh, I my question to you is because we're establishing a theme here uh, that because you recognize sound cues, uh, stolen sound cues better than oh, I do. Oh, yes. There's uh, mo modern sound cues in the ghostly face recurring ones. Uh, that sounds very Western in feel, but could you identify any of the needle drops, if you will? I knew that you would be counting on me to do this, Ken, so I put a lot of effort into it. Oh, really? Uh, it's like uh, I'm putting like, pressure on you. You better deliver, yeah. boy! Well, because I recognized I, I recognized the piece, but I only vaguely recognized it. But um, there is there's definitely some James Bond music. There's the there's the usual suspects. We have some John Barry James Bond music, and then we have some Ennio Morricone spaghetti western music. 
which speaks to the excellent taste of the people who make these movies. Yes. I mean, if you're going to rip off soundtracks, John Barry, Ennio Morricone, you're done. You don't need anything else. You know, a James Bond theme from John Barry or a, or a Morricone theme. And the you're only done. records released in that part of Asia were either Morricone records or yeah. John Barry records. That might so, be it. So it that, that's be. all they had, but what a great selection. Yeah. To have. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's definitely some music. I think it's from Thunderball. And then the the Western theme uh, that's used is another piece from Once Upon a Time in the West. Really? And it's the, yeah, and it's the theme for Jason Robard's character, Cheyenne. And it's that, down, 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 down. It's like a banjo thing. Down, 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 down. It's that. It, it comes, it's coming back to me now. I knew I recognized it, but I'm so bad at like, placing that stuff. If it is, if it isn't Ecstasy of Gold or the main theme of The Good or Bad, The Ugly, I'm, I'm destined to not recognize a score yeah. that I've even heard uh, 40 times. You know. Yeah, no, I had to, I had to go to YouTube, and I knew it was. I, 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 I was pretty sure it was the Jason Robards character, and. And, um, and I want to say that since doing these podcasts, um, it didn't. I, I always, uh, when I reviewed these films, I would call out what, when I could recognize them, what scores uh, were used. But I would re really wouldn't do anything beyond just calling them out as like ripping off these scores. Mm -hmm. But since I've been doing this podcast, you know, I, I, you always ask me, well, how do you feel about how they used it? And I never really stopped to think about that. And it's appropriate to to judge how they how they position and contextualize these films. I mean, especially in the current age, when you know, recontextualizing a a found piece of music is actually seen as a creative act. So think about this. Uh, especially the Morricone theme, I thought it was used excellently, and yes. they used it in a in a. There's a tea house scene, which I imagine uh, is a callback to you know her her uh, you know Dragon Gate Inn. But there's a great uh, yeah tea house scene where she first sees the character uh, played by Lady Marlena, and she's just sort of she doesn't know who she is, but she can tell that she's sort of giving her the stink eye and they play that down, 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 down. And it's, it's very, the way it's timed, the way it's used, it, it goes perfectly. It could have been composed for the scene. Yeah. So A plus on how they use the music and the James Bond music they use fine too. And then there's, there's also a really, I don't know where this comes from, but Polly has this really cheesy kind of blues rock thing, you know, <laughs> you know, whenever she's writing, that goes to this really dumb kind of boogie rock sounding music with a lot of horns and stuff. Don't know what that was, but that I don't think was original to the movie either. But good use of Morricone, good use of John Barry, A+. And uh, and uh, when all of a sudden done, neither composer was begging on the street because of this theft, you know. Uh, they, yeah. they they were well off, thankfully, and uh, we, we're thankful to for for the usage of it, you know. And uh, and and it's not like we sit idle and don't support uh, John Barry or Morricone because uh, I think we, uh, we, I I can speak for many of us that we own uh, a soundtrack of free. 
from uh, for, from these composers, you know. So yeah. so it's not like um, it's a full on uh, rip off or anything. But uh, per definition, it is. But um, all the better for it. I mean, the, my my favorite usage of stolen music is uh, will be forever in Snake and the Eagle Shadow, the Jackie Chan movie, where they pick obviously uh, uh, synthesize electronic yeah, for a period martial arts movie and it works so well oh boy does it work well you know uh-huh. when you see Jackie's uh, demonstration during the opening credits like you know that uh, magic fly uh, track by space <laughs> like oh boy I mean I mean I mean I mean it's so, yeah. so great um, so uh, yeah good, good stuff I have no other notes so the floor is yours to talk of uh, whatever you want I think I've exhausted the subject, as I am wont to do. I, I, I'm ready to move on. Right on, and uh, we'll talk of availability that isn't great. I mean, uh, they own, there's no official uh, um, disc, DVD, or certainly not Blu-ray available. Uh, the source, I think, we both watched was uh, uh, the Ocean Shores tape yep. from Hong Kong. Uh, I love Ocean Shores because they had such a varied library, even though they uh, didn't feature a lot of uh, great transfers as the years went by. They cropped a lot of stuff. And uh, but yeah. uh, this was the very first Ocean tape, uh, Ocean Shores tape in Hong Kong. It's the zero zero one. It's number O L zero zero one. And at the beginning, they were kind of featuring widescreen and uh, and subtitled versions. And this is uh, in Mandarin and subtitled. It's a approximately uh, 1.85 frame the transfer so it's a mm-hmm. partially cropped but not disruptingly so and the subtitles are fully visible and uh, the this version is available at probably bootlegs I'll, I'll bet but uh, uh, I have no shame in saying that uh, I ha- have a torrent of it and uh, that's our best like ultimate edition right now and it will probably be for quite a number of uh, quite a number of yeah. years uh, Maybe it is at the Taipei Film Archive, um, preserved and what have you, but uh, it's certainly no release looming now because uh, uh, that's not that financial, like, uh, you know, uh, it's not gold written all right. over that prospect, you know, release the ghostly face and bathe in money, you know. Right, <laughs> yes. And I would think, though, that an organization like the uh, the Film Archive, I, I don't know, I mean, I think this film has a lot of historical value though i mean i don't think there were that many uh taiwan and indonesian co-productions like this i imagine not no uh but anyway i yeah i'd recommend finding it though uh, and you also mentioned in one of our email conversations that there was a i i, I might be misinterpreting but that there was a fan dub of this on it's on a german yeah, they Language. took. Um, apparently, there was a German VHS release in widescreen, and someone put the English dub on that. Uh, so there exists an English dub of of it. Uh, I'm not sure how complete the German language print is because they mm-hmm. sometimes edited out uh, uh, stuff they deemed unnecessary. I can imagine some of the writing shots they edited out, even if only one or two minutes were gone. They looked at movies in Germany at that time and kind of tried to smoothen them out and to mm-hmm. t- take out stupid stuff, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. uh, especially comedy in some movies like uh, just uh, they recognize what filler was well stupid according to germany <laughs> <Yeah>. at least <laughs> well, well i'll tell you if you ever get a chance to watch uh, the german cinema print of uh, hitman in the hand of buddha the wang jungli directed movie they uh, it's a 90 minute movie originally they took out about 15 or 20 minutes of it and it works so much better because that is mostly stupid comedy really stupid mm-hmm. comedy yeah, it always chagrins me to say it, but once in a while the the edited versions are better. I mean, I think the uh, the edited version of uh, 
of deep red of Argeno's deep yes. red is like millions of times better than I heard Argeno. it. I've only seen the short, shorter one, but I heard the longer one. It's just uh, a lot more comedy than the, like the one or two comedy sequences that are sequences that are still in deep red. You know, so I was like, yeah. "What's this crap, Argento? I don't need this." Yeah, <laughs> it's it's Argeno's attempt at romantic comedy between the male and female leads, and it's really painful. It really slows the movie down. Yeah, but the yeah. So the the English dubbed uh, cut is definitely the better. I, I have that on Laserdisc from Japan, and they released it as Suspiria 2 in Japan. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. That's, it's, it's interesting, very interesting. It doesn't fit the timeline or the content at all of uh, Deep Red versus Suspiria, but hey, it's all good. Uh, but, uh, okay. Um, yeah, boy, are we getting off topic. Yes, but uh, we're getting on topic now before the break. You know, everybody, and I gotta just ask the listeners: everybody bring their weed, <laughs> or have you brought Little Hero into your life before listening to this? Because you you can get stoned off the fumes uh, that OG Taiwan Reefer Madness uh, brings you when you smoke that up, so to say, by watching Little Hero. It's a it's a wonderful experience where you feel kind of like, what did I take? <laughs> Am I watching this? <laughs> Like, Mom, <laughs> is this right? Yeah, Sam, it is. <laughs> so after the break, we'll talk Little Hero from 1978. So we'll be right back. Welcome back and let's talk Little Hero from 1978. Sounds sweet enough. Uh, sounds uh, not batshit crazy at all. Little Hero. Wow, how sweet. It, it is. It is crazy. <laughs> crazy Little Hero. <laughs> uh, plot, and I kind of improvised the plot uh, because uh, barely anyone reviewed it. So uh, uh, let's just... Yeah, I wrote it uh, in, in an improvised manner, so bear with me. Polyquan looking very fetchy and female plays a male character. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, you're hot, Polly. I'm a guy. Oh. <laughs> well, you're still hot, so whatever. Uh, she possesses terrific kung fu and she takes on the devil gang uh, with uh, that consists of, among other things, their midget uh, brothers, uh, enrolling boulders, uh, tiger assassins, elephant assassins, and we'll save the end for later after we get really stoned. Talking of this movie, <laughs> and, uh, if you get in hard, you know, taking in the fumes of uh, talking of this crazy movie. I think I'm in danger of going hoarse this episode because I just want to shout about both these movies so much. <laughs> well, if there ever was a case of it being worth it, then uh, this is it. So yeah. you know, I lost my voice talking of Little Hero. <laughs> uh, and they're all after some powerful sword or some shit like that. I don't know. Uh, I like the movie. I should say it's not me like pissing on the plot. It is super minimal, really. It's what? Well, yeah, it's just, again, you have... Uh, a, a sword of great power that uh, the, the bad guys are after. Yeah, you don't really know what it's going to do, but they're like, it's with this like sword, this we scene can where rule you see the world. The big sword, like this big ass sword glowing red or purple. You never see yeah. that. They might yeah. as well have pulled up a dagger, like, this is the powerful sword now. Like, yeah. Really? Yeah, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's not like uh, what was that uh, Choyan movie, the the magic sword, where the, when they finally the power of the magic sword is revealed, it's like this awesome you know special effect thing, and they're like, huh, okay, so that's what it does. <laughs> no, you never get to see what the phoenix sword does, but uh, yeah, they're after they the devil's gang is after it, and uh, and in the course of getting it, much like in. The ghostly face. They, they. Uh, oh no, I'm wrong. They don't kill Polly's dad. What they do is they kidnap. It's owned by uh, uh, Master Chin, and they kidnap Chin's daughter and hold her ransom, basically, for the sword. And meanwhile, his son Chin Lang, who I'm not sure who played that dude. That was. Uh, I think that was Yin. Si Wo, is that his name? I'm not too sure, to be honest. Okay. So he so he has the sword, and he gives it to this kid that he finds in a swimming hole, who's all like, please don't hurt me. Um, and he That's gives a creepy him... scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll do yeah, anything. I'll and... do anything. Please don't hurt me. Uh, it's... <laughs> I also want to, I, I do have to interject that the, a lot of people will disagree with me, but I do think this is a film that actually benefits from the English dub. I don't know how you feel about it, Ken, but I think the dub... Yes and no, I'll get to that. But, uh, but if I want to pick one, then yes. But, um... Okay. Okay, yes, you only have one choice. Um, so he gives the boy the sword and then it tr- trusts it to him to get it back to Master Shin at his mansion. And then Polly is a knight, I guess, who comes to the Master's aid. And with her minions, she, of course, has two idiotic minions yeah. who whine. Master, 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 <laughs> Like, that's the line that you're going to have. Yeah. You know, in your head for days, like, master, master! Yes, yes two lines <laughs> that you hear over and over in this movie, because Ken and I have already had a very spirited Twitter exchange about this, is, yeah, master, master! And the other is, shut up! Everyone tells everyone to shut up in this movie. It's like said hundreds of times. Oh, boy. But you know what? We're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk to director uh, because uh, there's a note, there's some notable stuff here. I don't know any biographical me- uh, things on the director yet. Uh, um, probably Chinese. Uh, there may, there's maybe some biographical info in Chinese, but uh, there's some fantastic credits indeed. And the uh, director's name is Chen Hungmin, uh, editor turned director. And if a theme is present in this director's filmography, is that uh, there's some exploration of special effects and uh, yes. monster vibe in Chen Hunming's movies. And I want to single out a few that I've seen. Uh, not all are, uh, represent that only, but uh, The Eight Immortals from 1971. Uh, I saw it. It was on DVD. It was made available. It was one of the movies found in an old cinema. These beat-up, like, grindhouse-looking prints and released on DVD by Fushan. Uh, it's a U.S. label. Uh, I wrote of the film Brings the Right Spirit and Energy. Uh, it showcases a plethora of weaponry in the Wuxia tradition that few will kind of will be able to see coming. It's a quite an unpredictable movie. There's animated special effects that give way for battles involving uh, nasty-looking birds and poison gas and like villains uh, being shown uh, showing their real forms, which uh, in some scene uh, is a pig. Uh, 
and we also get some whipping and torture and um, you know as icing on the cake you know it's a quite a filled uh, filled movie uh, in its experimental stages I should say because uh, you gotta have a weakness for this type of cinematic energy and it uh, mm-hmm. helps if you're interested in seeing like early Taiwanese cinema experimenting with special effects because they do it fairly well actually but at one point you know there are or several points you see subpar results you know one scene even involves basically action figures meant to be <laughs> miniature work mm, okay this sounds like one i definitely want to see i haven't seen that one what's it called again the, the, eight, eight, the eight immortals the eight immortals okay i'm gonna look that up i have that dvd still uh, uh before fusion the titles went out of print. I bought uh, pretty much the entire range, and uh, they, they they were not all good, but there were some gems in there, and, and this one was enough of a gem for me. Uh, furthermore, another highlight from 1971 was the Fly Dragon Mountain, and that was released uh, in a remastered form on Taiwanese v, uh, DVD uh, and subtitled, and it's a solid wuxia with nods to spaghetti westerns and um, uh Good nods, actually. It's, it has that feel, and uh, it uh, transfers that, you know, Leone feel very well to uh, this swordplay movie. And it has kind of an emotional grip on you that not many of these Taiwanese uh, genre movies um, had, you know. Uh, and if you look at director Chen Hongming's filmography, you know, it seems to lean more towards martial arts rather than special mm. effects and monsters. But uh, watching The Fly Dragon Mountain, I wonder, in terms of the unseen movies, for me, if there is a director of intelligence here. Uh, and I hope to unveil that in some way. Yeah. Um, we have two more selections, and boy, are they fun. Marsman. Marsman. Marsman <laughs> uh, is a film with a very, very complicated history. <laughs> Would you like to hear some of that? Ken? Absolutely. I have my own notes, but uh, I want to hear yours as well. So go okay. ahead. Okay. Marsman um, is, uh, is the Chinese language version of a Thai film called Giant and Jumbo A, which in turn was made from footage from a Japanese tokusatsu series uh, made by Subaraya Productions, uh, the same company that made Ultraman. Uh, uh, the series was called Jumborg A. Uh, this, the film, the Thai film was directed by Sampot Sang Duenchai, a.k.a. Sampot Sands, who I myself have a complicated history with. I've covered his, well, I've covered his films quite a lot. That was like one of the, one of the things that still brings uh, more people than most other things to my blog is my series of reviews of uh, Sampot Sands movies, even though I hate most of them with an all-consuming passion. But uh, and he and this film was made as part of a deal or an alleged deal that he a co-production deal he made with Subaraya Productions that also resulted in him making a film called. Um, Hanuman and the Seven Ultraman, which is a combination of the Ultraman characters and the Hindu monkey god Hanuman, uh, which resulted in Sampot Sands for 10 years claiming to own the international rights to Ultraman <laughs> at the at the expense of uh, Subaraya Productions. And there was a long, long court battle that resulted from that that was finally decided in Subarai's favor. But Sampot Sands became a very hated figure in the uh, in the, the sort of cult science fiction community for sort of hijacking the the uh, 
the Ultraman copyright for so long, and there was a period where you couldn't um, you couldn't license people outside of Japan couldn't license the Ultraman character without going through Sambo uh, Sangdu Inchai's company. Oh. Uh, so. But that film at least used they the Subaraya people actually made footage you know original footage for that film. The giant and Jumbo A uh, is really just mostly repurposed footage from the TV series. So, but for some reason that got picked up for uh, distribution worldwide. There's an Italian version of it. I think that's where the Mars Men title comes from. Yeah, uh, it's the only uh, way I've been able to see clips of it is uh, on, on cl- Italian language clips on uh, YouTube. Um, I mean, it, it shows decent energy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm weak for that genre. I like to talk, uh, like anything. That, it's a fun you know, film. You you've sat through the entirety of it. Uh, uh, had access to I've it? I've sat I've sat through the Thai version and mm. yeah and and it's entertaining because I love those Japanese shows. Yeah. I love Ultraman and that stuff, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's so so, so I mean I'm, I'm sorry. So Mossman uh, is w- was it all like recycled footage? So Chen Hung Ming presumably did not direct any, or or did did I shoot some own footage? I think there's. I think the Italian version adds some footage. They shot some new footage with with uh, Italian actors. What the? Yeah, I don't actually know what he contributed to it. I so I have not seen the the Chinese language version. So I, that I couldn't say. There are Chinese actors listed on HKMDB. So. Uh, you know, there they must be somewhere in there, <laughs> directed by a Thai, a Taiwanese guy. So. Yeah, because there's no, yeah, there's no mistaking uh, Chinese names for Thai names. That's for sure. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, he must have shot some new footage for it. It's just interesting that this that this particular film has such a an international life, you know, in the years since then. But but that's that's what that is. So. Right on. Uh, and the last title, and the granddaddy in terms of yes. Chen Hung Min's movies, is uh, the movie. Uh, I mean, it, slowly but surely, the information has be, come to light what it, what, what it is and uh, what it's called. And I mean, for what, once I thought it was only called Calamity, but now it's also known as the Big Calamity, aka War, War God, God from 1976. And I love this. I mean, clearly, the success and popularity of uh, Japanese monster movies led to other territories, as we talked of, uh, trying on the formula and doing it themselves, even in importing Japanese talent to uh, work on a uh, uh, tech talent. Uh, but rather than imitating in an obvious way, you know, War God or Calamity or the Big Calamity takes the character out of Chinese folk religion called General Guan Yu. Uh, you know, the god that both cops and triads worship, for instance. You see um, uh, a scene in Hard Boiled where Giant Fat begs to Guan Yu for, for luck and, a, and, a, and an apartment, essentially. So, yes. Uh, and uh, we get Guan Yu Versus aliens from Mars. <laughs> right. Giant, giant. Uh, it's like little green men, but giant little green men. They're very cute, but they're gigantic. Oh, so, yeah. And they're pissed about nuclear testing having reached their orbits. Uh, so what? how does one you figure, figure into this? Well, there's a drama here, too. Uh, uh, a widowed husband carves like this perfect Guan Yu statue for his dead wife and somehow manages to reach out to the god So uh, because society needs someone to help them against the Martians. Society are falling apart. And you get Guan Yu you know, versus 
aliens from Mars, you know, and uh, it's a great movie. I mean, the match, the match shots that makes us live action and the giant creatures are pretty poor, but you see that in higher budget movies from this time as well, you know. Uh, uh, but the men in suit action is very competent. Uh, there's a nice sense of destruction and scale, and uh, and it never bores. It's such a fucking fantastic time, you know. You get weapons duels and kung fu fighting between gods and aliens, listeners. And it's yes. very well translated. Yeah, it's an extremely entertaining movie. And, and the last few years has meant that we've been able to... Um, it became available, finally. A, a print that's partially in widescreen in Mandarin, a subtitle, became available uh, online. It's not officially available, uh, War God. And it's a wonderful movie to see, uh, therefore, you know, in this uh, state. And that's probably the state that we're going to have to uh, kind of, uh, st- you know, be stuck with. But it's no... Uh, it works despite, you know, it's a, it's a wonderfully watchable version. Uh, out of all things, you know, a few years ago, but I think this project project has been put on ice. Uh, director Edmond Pang, or Pang Ho Jung, uh, of uh, Men Suddenly in Black and Dream Home fame, he mentioned that he wanted to restore and re-release Calamity, or The Big Calamity, mm. uh, and they do a new dub in Cantonese with some name actors. I think uh, oh. Sean Yu and Miriam Young, his um, stars of... Um, uh, love in a what was that a smoky movie they did love, love in a puff or something like that uh, but reports along the way revealed that he wasn't working with pristine elements I mean uh, a re-release would require some kind of print so some kind of workable print and maybe the Taipei film archive oh, don't have it essentially I, I have heard I heard a rumor a while back about someone putting a DVD out of it but I can't remember who it was um, it obviously hasn't happened because this is a film that I definitely keep an eye out for. I mean, for years this was a film I was looking to find. That's that's Tars Tarkas's fault because he <laughs> hit me to this film. He showed there were some images from it, some lobby cards that showed up online, and he put those on his site, and then I was kind of hooked. And but that. It, it could not be found at all for years, and then this, yeah, this uh, copy showed up on torrent sites all of a sudden, and that was a big, a big moment. But and it did not disappoint. The no, thing is not that, at all. Yeah, I mean, you think usually with films like this, these lost films, you build up huge expectations around them, and then you finally find them, and it's like, eh. Yeah, but this <laughs> this movie really lived up. It lived up to the to the hype. It was really a fun, entertaining, and very. Very ambitious yes. as far as the, the the effects. I mean, I would see them restoring it. I mean, another film that I think has a lot of historical significance because I haven't seen many other uh, Taiwanese films that were so ambitious in terms of their... I mean, Thrilling Sword is ambitious in terms of the sheer number of special effects, but the quality of the effects in... Uh, in uh, War God are are pretty high. A lot of them up, up to the Japanese standard, I thought. I, so. I would imagine that there would be some kind of uh, that they uh, had Japanese consultants on this because they weren't afraid to like uh, send them overseas to like uh, work on them. I mean, for heaven's sake, even Japanese crew worked on Pulgasari, you know, right. <laughs> Kim Jong Il's right. movies. So it's like send them over there. There's money to be had. Well, right. What about that Definitely. guy? Then? Well, fuck him. Well, it's my it's work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there you go. But uh, let's go back to a little hero. My first. Oh, yeah. Brief... Oh, yeah. We're talking about that movie. Yeah. Uh, my first uh, brief opinion. Uh, I like to keep them brief just to uh, be uh, tease a little uh, to be potentially funny. So, you know, when you watch this movie, you kind of need 
either you get weed or you just um, uh, kind of uh, uh, simulate, simulate it in some way. Right? So, so inhale, you know. And then you, whoa, man, that's awesome. <laughs> whoa, did I just see that? Oh, you know, it's it's Taiwan Reefer Madness OG, this. And uh, you should stay with that and not away from that at all. You should go into this with, just go into it. That's a, that's my brief opinion. And I think you, I, I dare you to come up with a better, like a great small worded opinion as well that will hook viewers instantly like oh should we just say you know fetuses octopuses uh yeah weird. <laughs> yeah uh yeah i don't know what to, i mean i'll tell you the first two words that come to my mind in describing this movie are manic and cartoonish this is a very this is like a live action cartoon to the point you were pointing out some of the dialogue you know the dragon gang uh you know you know she tricked us, or you know, <laughs> or there's lines like, "Let's set a trap for her and let her walk right into it." Like pretty much from the moment that the 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 MacGuffin is established, everybody's after this dumb sword. The the <laughs> the, the, uh, the, uh, the dumb the, sword. It's the, a, uh, the stupid sword. It's, uh, like, the, it's uh, like a it'll, it'll, uh, when they pick it up, it'll turn uh, or it turn into essentially a rubber. Like in a cartoon moment because it's a stupid right. sword. Yeah, exactly. But so the leader of the of the devil gang, who's gold, I think he's named Gold Mask, and he's a guy who flies around on big condor wings. Uh, and then there's Silver Mask, who he does most of the flying, I guess. But he has all these, you know, freakish minions. He has a little vampire dude who's a midget. Oh, oh I'm gonna stop you right there. I put down that quote. The little guy. Uh, when he reveals himself, he says, I don't know if he had a whiny voice, but he certainly didn't sound masculine. But So he said, quote, I'm one of the members of the Devil's Gang. My name is Vampire. And it's revealed to be that little guy. Yes, that, <laughs> okay. that little guy. Yeah. So Vampire, he's... okay. Right. So oh, and then and then he has the fuzzy guys, the, uh, the tiger guard, who will have like fuzzy tiger costumes. Um, and but he has all these freakish minions, and he keeps dispatching one after the other. In this way, it reminded me a lot of Inframan. I mean, if you've seen Inframan, you know how the Princess Dragon Mom has all her different monsters, and they're really hyper, and they're like, "Let me kill Inframan! Let me kill Inframan!" She'll like dispatch them, and it's sort of the same thing where he'll like dispatch the the midget guy, and then he and another guy are in these bowling ball things. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing okay. is, it's uh, kind of clear from the start that this is going to be like a whooshy, dissing kind of time, uh, dubbed incredibly bad, but also incredibly awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it, even, you know, s stupid crap like, and I'll say that affectionately, like even when a character opens a fan, we get space sounds, essentially. You know, uh -huh. when, it, when it flops it open, it's like a laser from somewhere. Like, I, oh, yeah. I, I would love to think that that's uh, so intentional that uh, they're having fun with the sound design as well, obviously. Um, and, and yeah, it's obviously not meant to be serious. It is fully comedic, even though the comedy, you know, comes and goes in terms of it uh, being good, you know, and, uh, and it starts with like the least funny 
inclusion, although I have no problem watching it, it's obviously the disciples of uh, the of the polyquants, you know, uh, uh, because they're 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 dumb and one is fat. Right. So so there's your comedy right there. Fat is funny. That's you know, what they say. That's the rule of uh, of Taiwanese movie comic relief. Two stooges. <laughs> two stooges. Master, and, 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 yeah. They, they actually do a small, like, free studios kind of a bit in it, but it's not this very inspired echoing of uh, yeah. the free studios comedy. And, and the thing is with the Ocean Shores dubbing, I don't know if you noticed this, and this is like a tech tangent. Uh, they often didn't seem to work with uh, separated uh, voice and effects tracks, meaning that these are mostly dubbed over uh, the action completely. You can hear literally like the you know the fight action uh, go quiet as possibly dialogue goes on uh, yeah, during it. it. Yeah. So you can hear them like raise and lower volumes, and the dub is so super crisp as well. It's an older mm-hmm. dub, but that's not to say it uh, is uh, detracting from the movie. So the way Ocean Shores did their in-house dubs apparently meant that they had they didn't have uh, separate uh, tracks to kind of make it uh, smooth in that regard. Flash Future Kung Fu is the same. If you ever seen that uh, Kirk Wong movie. Uh, so, 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 that, so that's like a, a, a little, uh, a little uh, uh, tech, yeah, tech thing. And uh, of course, uh, we get uh, uh, gems in the dub uh, uh, <laughs> all throughout. And you know, it starts mm. with those two disciples, those two studios, mm. you know, grating on you, but you love it despite saying, "Master, master, 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 <laughs> shut up, shut, yeah, shut up, up." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can really get behind them saying, "Shut up." Even the characters in the movie, I would probably say to them at one point, shut up, you know, thankfully someone said it to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the the dialogue in this movie is insults. It's just everyone insulting everyone else. Sometimes the, the insults don't make any sense at all. But they're always followed by someone saying either shut up or I'll kill you or both. You know, there's occasion where it's like, shut up, I'll kill you. <laughs> And, uh, and but the thing is, if you look at the movie, as that it's actually as fun as it is. Uh, it's compared to the other Chen Hung Min movies. This is a very low budget movie. It's akin to these Taiwanese cheapies, mostly shot indoors, and uh, possibly one set they have access to and some costumes, and that's it. And uh, I, I can I can get on board with that generic feel because I have a weakness for in particular Taiwanese cheapies. I mean Hong Kong cheapies. Good. Taiwanese cheap is cheaper and kind of better, too. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree. They're better. Uh, I, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, it's uh, that, that's not to say either that they're technically incompetent or anything. They, um, you know, initially the first like scene where they, um, we, we don't get any setup of this at all. Apparently, Polly Kwan's character, Polly Shan Kwan's character, is um, a kung fu master that uh, the Devil Gang wants to take out. So they surround her in this uh, kind of rope uh, trap, rope cage, uh, and that that's you know it's a fairly creative setup, um, which uh, take you know makes the movie take off immediately. We don't get this. You know when something's gonna happen feel you know immediately stuff starts happening and uh, things never really stop uh, moving in this movie you know yeah no this is a yeah this is a non-stop uh, action what the fuck fast from <laughs> from the start um i could see someone the star of dragon comes yeah yeah 
Yes. I could see someone finding this movie really annoying if they didn't come to it in the right mood. I mean, I love it personally, but yeah, I mean, there's constant fighting, constant shouting, constant just weird crap being thrown at you all the time. Um, and I just, I love it to death. I, I just find this movie so entertaining. The thing that's actually weak uh, is the actual action choreography. That's not memorable at all. I think the actual kung fu is actually pretty weak, and it's the cartoon yeah. wacky elements of the movie surrounding yeah. that that work so much better. So if, if the movie had none of that, cool shit, yeah. then we would be stuck with a kind of stale movie as choreographed, you know? Yeah, that's true. There's no this, The fights aren't very spectacular. Or very challenging either. I mean, because there's sort of a, a light slapstick uh, tone to things. It's, I mean, compared to a movie like The Ghostly Face, where there, the stakes in the fights are so high and the and the fights are so gritty and violent um, and grim. You know, this is very different. And so, no yeah, one's, uh, no one's face is getting caved in in this movie. No. That's what Todd yeah, essentially is saying. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's really no blood in this movie. So it's like what you're, and there's a lot of silly, silly stunts and stuff. I mean, definitely, as you've, as you've mentioned before about her tap, she sort of tap, she, when she's fighting the giant octopuses at the end, she sort of tap dances on their heads, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, restrain yourself, sorry, and we'll get to that. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. right. Uh, But, uh, there's some um, like uh, there's a white mask I think that was uh, flying around or was a golden mask yes. and, uh, and yeah. uh, part of it looks uh, crap part of it looks really impressive uh, because you see him flying around and uh, oh, that's pretty good he looks pretty high up but you never see him initially landing and you're like okay they couldn't uh, do the wire work to make him land but then later you see a takeoff shot uh, yes. with him with the condo wings and they pull him high up in the air man it's yeah, not a cutaway. It's like, oh my yeah. god, they're sending that fucker to the moon. Yeah, I thought those flight effects are actually pretty impressive. I mean, because they're actually uh, it's a real time, real space effect. It's not a it's not a process shot. He's hanging from a crane or something like that, and they're winging him around over the you know it's a it's a location shot too. It's shot on the seashore, and uh, I thought those are pretty impressive. And even when she steals the wings and she's flying around with them. I thought it was pretty cool. Looking. That did look actually pretty cool. One of the best effects. And uh, uh, and still stuff like uh, the uh, boulder attack. Or rather, before the boulder <laughs> attack, there's someone sends down the hill towards uh, Polly and her male star. Don't know who that guy was. Like uh, these... Uh, what's supposed to possibly be like these uh, steel balls that they have to uh, uh, avoid by running on top of them. Uh, So they all all of a sudden, a devil's gang kind of conjure up balls of steel (laughs) or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's your take on that? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, it was sort of a... I can't talk about this scene without losing my shit for some reason, but... um, it's a preface. It sort of announces the 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 life size balls. But then, that there's like yeah, this avalanche of like pinballs, but they're bigger than you know. They're probably they're like bowling ball size, you know. And then they and then they like this is another very cartoonish moment. Yeah, they hop up and they start running on top of them. It just should have had that little you know effect over it. Um, but then. 
Yeah, but then these giant balls come out with the people's feet sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the attack by the dwarf brothers. And the thing is, yeah. one of them is vampire. The yeah. other guy is the bearded guy in red who's not a dwarf at all. Yeah, like, you just ignore details and just smoke up. Like, the dwarf brothers, one of them, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, the unibrow dwarf who, dwarf, dwarf, uh, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a captivating presence, definitely. And it seems like he, didn't it seem like he got killed in that scene? Yes, yeah, there's like this crushed. Uh, yeah, but then he comes back, he shows up later. I mean, that's another thing about this film is like, which, which I love this film, like completely ignores logic. It's not you know, subject to the rules of logic or, or any expectations you might have based on logic or typical, uh, you know, kung fu movie sort of uh, plot construction. It's, you know, it's just insane. And it's like, you know, they felt like bringing the, va- the vampire midget back, even though he was very obviously crushed in that one scene. So, so hey, let's do it. Um, I gotta say that Polly really sells this movie too, because yes. this is she, she, she's not a like stale stoic presence at all. She's uh, on board with uh, the silliness uh, and asked to be yeah. on board. Uh, yeah, and she plays, and her character is sort of a, you know, a, a sort of a wisecracker, you know, a very mm-hmm. uh, a very cocksure, if I may say. Yes, sir. Uh, and. Uh, um, even though her wisecracks don't make sense, but she <laughs> she <up>. always <laughs> prefaces she always prefaces oh, well there's that scene where she starts fight by going, you look pretty good for a mule. Ooh, it's like <laughs> shut up, I'll kill you. Uh, the the villains have very tender feelings. They're very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, that other- uh, stupid <laughs> moment in No Retreat, No Surrender when uh, when he calls uh, Jean Claude Van Damme Russian. Uh-huh. <laughs> my other favorite dub line is this you heard me i said you're all jerks <laughs> you know i i wouldn't dream of watching this movie in mandarin i mean we we have a, an unsubtitled print anyway uh but uh i mean what was up with uh the various uh, animal uh gods or assassins uh we, we get tiger assassins and elephant assassins one guy and one guy's like a bear i think i'm gonna say i wasn't quite clear on one of the guys but he had he was either a, supposed to be a wolf or a bear he was had sort of a brown headpiece you know what gets me is that they uh this doesn't look uh um intimidating at all what no. these guys get is this uh dress and uh and um like uh for repose uh, combo and some uh, some makeup and uh number one the choreography isn't very good regardless but they never put in the first scene i think when the tiger guards if you will attack they don't put roars on the soundtrack until the second scene but they still look wimpy as shit Oh yeah, they look. Yeah, like, they what look is like that a, a dance troupe or something. I'll tell you what they what they look like. I, I I don't know if you've seen this, but I live in the Mission District in San Francisco, and and for a while, all the hipsters like while well, you would see them waiting for the Google bus in the morning, and when it was cold, they'd wear those ridiculous knit uh, hats that were animal shaped. Wow. You know, like like bunny shaped or, or and 
looking incredibly stupid. That's what these costumes look like, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, they don't, they're not makeup effects at all. They just kind of paint the tiger guy's faces and then they wear these little tiger hats, uh, you and, know. And skirts, essentially. It looks like and skirts. And it, skirts. It's rather fetching, yeah. but, you know, it's not there. And it works for the movie. I'll go tell you, I love it, but it, you, you're the guy... Those guys, they're, they, they're no threat to, to no, anything, yeah. you know. Yeah, and she makes short work of them. <laughs> uh, it reminded me, there's an, I, have you ever seen the uh, the Polly Shanquan movie uh, Zodiac Fighters, where she commands a team of fighters and each one is a, on a Zodiac theme or each one has an animal theme. So there's like a bunny lady and there's a... You know, I don't know if there's an elephant guy, but there's each of them has a different animal theme. And it reminded me, I, I think that came before this movie. Um, and I don't know. And I also don't know what the overlap of these movies are. It's like who I know it was a small world in, in the Taiwanese, you know, filmmaking communities, but I don't know if, if these films shared any personnel other than Polly, if there were certain writers or certain designers or what, certain what effects writers? people. Right, what? yeah. <laughs> well, wait, no, actually the writer of this movie, uh, if I can find the... Uh, I mean, they, they, they do have, you're, you're right, that there are some credited writers. Jim Sanyi, which I believe is a director we've covered on this show. He was the director of Thrilling Sword. Oh, there you go. Uh, and the writer of Kung Fu Wonder Child. So this is not a person to be trifled with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but the thing is, if you look at the Chen Hung Min's work, uh, as stupid as the comedy is and what have you, this movie is paced pretty well. Uh, most Kung Fu comedies, otherwise, that just try to rely on uh, so-called comedic banter were so deadly dull. Uh, you know, f physical comedy, possibly, they might have attempted that, still deadly dull, but Chen Hung Min, you know, is, goes for this as mad visual ride as he can provide based on the budget, and really combines all the elements to like a, a, a good, good fast-moving movie, yeah. uh, and eventually, I mean, I, I touched on the choreography, eventually we see some of Polly's uh, kicking skills and intensity, mm. you know, that that always shines, and I think she always did. She, she seemed like a fairly decent uh, kicker. Um, that seems to be her thing, yeah. Even though that, sh you know, shines in a movie where uh, the people she kicks are elephant gods. <laughs> <laughs> what gets me? One of the guys, I don't know, one of the guys has loose tusks. And then right, he's leans forward them. and like runs towards her. Like either it broke, or that's the devil's gang's like in idea of uh, intimidating gods. Like run at her with the loose tusk in your skirt and skirt and poor <laughs> combo or whatever yeah. the fuck was going on there. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that yeah, I think the uh, the blessing of this movie is that. Uh, it's it's one of its best points is that no matter what is happening on screen, how, no matter how you feel about it, it's not going to be there for very long oh, because no. they could be moving on to the next thing. So like it or hate it, maybe a, there may be a dumb joke or something painful, but then it'll move on to some other crazy thing from there. So yeah, it's the pacing is definitely uh, one of the the greatest attributes of this film. 
And uh, before we get to the uh, pre-finale, if you will, let's uh, see if I can find some. Like the only like uh, extended scene on the on the thing that you just said is some extended crap between the disciples and one of the elephant gods, and I think they get flour in their face, and it involves ducks. Uh, during like a duck pen or what have you. Oh right, I don't, I don't know what duck. that was about at all. That, yeah, there's a long scene in the duck pen that was very ponderous, and that yeah, that's very odd. This goes that was very mysterious to me. So, so I mean, there's a cut there, but uh, uh, you know what? Uh, it's um, I only have some brief notes. Then I'll let you describe the pr- next to the final scene in as uh, poetic way as you want. But one of my favorite uh, favorite quotes from the dub is. Told you Ceylon is very tricky. He tricked us this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the other thing I wanted to say about Polly Shane Kwan's character. Uh, it, depending on which character says her name is either named Ceylon, Sulon, or Shulon. And it's like, it's one of those kind of dubs where no one, no one had a huddle to decide how the character names are going to be pronounced. So everybody just freeforms it and pronounce it however the hell they want to. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, that's she's a trickster. Um, and, and also in these movies, you know, you get these uh, poetic like descriptions of uh, powers and what have you, and what they have. I, I I possess this and this, and I've learned this and this technique. What's um, how do they describe? If you remember, I got to put you on the spot. Polish and Kwan's uh, uh, power. In what poetic way do they describe her powers? <laughs> Well, not only poetic, but also very fortuitously timed, because there's a scene where she, there's the, there's also the uh, sort of the dominate, the the devil gang has the 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 whip wielding dominatrix lady too, mm-hmm. and she captures Polly and puts her in a wooden cage and throws her into the water, uh, where she's sure to drown, except she doesn't. She shows <laughs> up and says, "I'm not dead. I'm alive." Uh, and 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 how she explains that is they must not know that I have super internal powers. There you go. There it is. That's how I escape. She has super internal powers. Not like a palm of some kind, not a stance of some kind. No, super internal powers. And it's so cute how she breaks out of the cage, like just kicks it open mildly. Like, da-da-da-da-da, I'm off to (laughs) resume my day. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah, not a lot of suspense in that scene. But yes, super internal powers. Super internal powers. Uh, But we talked about the gods that she encounters, but the ultimate gods await in the next to final scene of the movie. And kind of what if if you you watched the movie up until that point and uh, didn't find any highlights. You, 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 you'll find one right now. So this is what this is what you'll hear about the most about this movie, and that's with good reason. And you can actually find the clip on YouTube too. I so. actually put it up. That um, uh, oh, what, you did. Good. Well, Thank one you. of the clips anyway. I think uh, maybe several, but uh, yeah, I did put it up because it needs to be seen. Before we go to this, because this this will overshadow everything else in the movie, I wanted to mention one other unsung character in this movie, and that is he's actually on. He's not a member of the Devil Gang. He's on Polly's team, and that's the dude <laughs> with the spiked football helmet. Yes. <laughs> 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 who I don't think has a name or even any dialogue, but he has a, his his power is wearing this football helmet with spikes on it, and he's played by an actor named Ching Ching, which I don't know if he's someone who shows up a lot in these, but he 
he he moved me to comment on <laughs> so um so yeah so the finale so the uh, the penultimate scene, I guess you're talking about, obviously, I know what you're talking about. Yes. So, uh, after... I'm, I'm not uh, talking about Lolit's uh, cameo towards the end, that's for yes. sure. No. Yeah, yeah. Lo, we have good old Loli as the bad guy. So, um, Polly commandeers the condor wings from Silver Guy and takes off after Loli, who's also flying. And uh, they end up on the beach. Um and she she lands on the beach, and I don't think Loli is anywhere to be seen, and she looks around, and all, all of a sudden on the horizon, rising from the water, are, uh, are two giant octopi, uh, <laughs> which are the most sad, they kind of look like half... Uh, deflated balloons in the Macy's if they had an octopus balloon in the Macy's parade and it got <laughs> half deflated. Um, they also look like um, uh, I, I don't know um, Ken are you familiar with the old 80s video game Qbert? Uh, no not that one no. Okay if you look up the the uh, the avatar for that game the, the character of Qbert looks just he has that kind of little uh, horn-shaped snout like these things do but they're really incredibly dumb looking but so awesome they're they're big builds too and he has like they yes. don't do like guys dressed as no they're but, but now now they're puppets now it's like he has the special effects budget and it looks kind of well it looks well it looks awesome but and he's awesome but uh, you you know Tsuburaya and company wouldn't be jealous of this yes but you do get the sense that they are pulling out all the stops in this scene, do you not? Do you, yeah, do you, yeah. don't you get the sense that this is their big effects showpiece? This is what we've all been waiting for. <laughs> the, the awesome, overwhelming, giant octopus monsters, which kind of, they're, they're, they're puppets, so they're operated from above, and so they're... they're their uh, tentacles are moving kind of pathetically, like you know, <laughs> one, sort of one at a time, sort of thing. And they kind of, and they kind of bounce out of the water. And then she fights them. Oh, and of course they capture the minions, which can't be too high. So they're like, "Master, help, master!" Uh. <laughs> uh, so, so then, yeah. So then she engages in a battle to the death with these these awesome octopuses, which involves, as I mentioned before, her jumping and sort of doing a little dance on their heads from one to the other. Well, well they're and so the limp that even Polly has to <laughs> actually help out, and by because she clearly grabs one of the tentacles and wraps them around her herself and obviously that reminds you clearly of the bella lugosi and uh, what is a bride bride of the Mon bride of the monster right or as as portrayed in the movie edward yes yeah. it's definitely it's definitely like that these are yeah i mean i've seen a lot of sad fake octopi <laughs> in movies uh, like i think maybe the, there's a turkish movie uh the, one of the Tarkan movies has has an octopus. It's actually worse because it's just kind of limp and floats on top of the water, <laughs> like its head is like is like collapsed and you know just like looks completely collapsed. But uh, yeah, these it, it's pretty incredible. But then the like the the coup de gras of the scene 
is after she dances on their heads when the when the octopi bring out their big guns Yes. And they start, and they start, and this is the thing where you have that. This is the part where you feel like someone slipped something in your drink because you really go, "Wait, did I mom. just?" See this? <laughs> yeah, ma, ma, uh, what did you put in my tang? Um, there's uh, the the octopi start birthing <laughs> octopi fetuses at her. In other words, these things start shooting out of the octopus's. Uh, under region and at first it's like wait what was that and it's like they're little baby octopuses that they're shooting at her and like kind of like in between each other as well like uh, like the throw uh, fucking football between each other or something. yes yeah so they're like yeah birth used as you know a matter of uh, firing projectiles at somebody so yeah they, they start firing babies <laughs> and then i don't know she eventually just kind of ki- killed well she well, well the disciples kind of got free and took uh, 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 took the creatures out to sea and kind of like oh got, that's right kind of we got a master you know master we got him they're dead yes right and then Loli comes out and said you killed my octopus well, well there, there it is i mean i i you know lolit is credited at the top oh yeah lolit i love lolit uh and the thing is he's uh he's um clearly only in one scene of the movie and i i gotta tell you he's one of my favorite guys because he he never even when he did one scene appearances i always loved him for it he always kind of put his all into it yeah. uh, and clearly even though the character might have been seen in two or three scenes Clearly, Lolita wasn't on the scene for more than this final scene yes. uh, on the beach, a very limp fight scene amid some uh, like uh, playground equipment, it looks like. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, there's a jungle gym. Yeah, that's very odd, too. Very so it's odd. like a death to reveal, like I have golden, golden mask is Lolita. And, uh, uh, so, so, I mean, it can't possibly follow up the squid scene uh, or the octopi scene. But, uh, no, yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, so, so I mean, I, I love Lolita in anything he does, but here's like his one day, uh, one to two day appearance. You, I would love to that someone like told him the synopsis, including the thing we just described, and uh, I would love that he would say like yes before they even finish the sequence. <laughs> then there's a scene where Polish and Quan fight Squid. I mean. Yeah, say no more. You had me at octopus. So uh, I, I love Lolly. as a workhorse, and he, he went where the work is. And uh, even if it was one scene cameos, uh, fighting cameos, he was in. And uh, and uh, so it, it is a memorable part of the movie actually to know that he's in it, even though the scene, the fight scene, is nothing to write home about. He played a very similar role in Zodiac Fighters too, where he shows up in a fight on the beach at the end. He turns out to be the big bad, but it's not revealed until the very end. And he comes up on the the beach. He's being carried in a palanquin, and the palanquin is surrounded by it. It, it launches these stuffed sharks at people. It's <laughs> one of the. It's it. It's that. The end of that movie is almost as surreal as the end of Little Hero, and that's where his fighters all have lobster claws, and and then the and then Polly with her her animal fighters, and that's a pretty amazing movie too. Wow, and uh, yeah, really, that's the tail end of the review. I'm, I'm, for once, I felt that this was a movie that needed to have kind of all details spilled. I know that means that we're spoiling it for you, but you you we can't hold all of this in and not to ourselves and not share what the great moments are because that would do little hero 
uh, a great like injustice. So, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. You can't really just. I mean, it's one of those things where you just can't. There's no way to describe it in abstract. You just kind of have to document what happens. That's yeah. the only way to communicate how insane it is. And believe me, when you watch it. it even knowing or thinking you know what's coming is not gonna it's not gonna uh do anything to take away from the novelty and surprise of this movie because it's very uh there's nothing else like it really no way uh, and uh, and yeah. there's, there's something like chen hung min is a director that clearly um knew his uh, special effects, uh, he had a like for special effects and also could uh, uh, transfer his uh, directorial train of thoughts well to swordplay dramas and uh, mad stuff like this. And and, yes. uh, and 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 even if I said mad crap like this, again, crap is very affectionate because, uh, you know, it takes a certain style of viewer, of course, to enjoy this, but I'm sure there's ton, tons of uh, viewers akin to that out there and uh, bless you for it. Yeah, some people will hate this, I'm sure, but you know, if it's for you, it'll be you know you'll want to marry this movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> That's a, yeah. So, uh, so as for availability, uh, there's no uh, official releases still in print uh, because it was uh, it is actually part of the Ocean Shores Library or was uh, they had a. Uh, full screen print available on uh, Laserdisc that is actually stretched and as a matter of fact it is actually partially letterboxed. Uh, there's also actually a normal like uh, letterboxed version that is uh, uh, more a little bit more colorful but lesser in quality compared to the uh, uh, Laserdisc that I watched uh, or a copy of the Laserdisc. Uh, the Laserdisc was uh, dubbed in English uh, on one track and Mandarin on the other, no subtitles. Uh, so uh, if you want to Get it officially. I mean, try and track down the Ocean Shores lace disc. Yeah, I would love to own it because uh, it will be. A, I, I like collecting them, and in, but in particular this item, I would love to uh, have. And sadly, I don't uh, yet. Uh, so, um, uh, but uh, uh, get it, and uh, uh, if you can, I mean, there are bootlegs out there. I know that, but um, uh, therefore, I would recommend torrents before bootlegs because they are on bootlegging labels that are not releasing only unavailable movies but available movies and that and, and that's no good so um yeah uh, so i would recommend if you can't get it uh, right now try and get it for free so there you go uh next time there's no announcement really uh, i haven't thought of the next double bill but uh, as always me and todd we kind of uh, get together off air and uh, try and carve out what's the next uh, kind of selections are going to be i mean i uh there's no set like oh we got to follow a certain uh, timeline or theme uh, uh, so uh we'll see what happens in taiwan war 13 but uh, this has been uh, episode 12 and so let's uh, put it to bed i mean i i don't think there's any podcast to spend so much time on the ghostly face and little hero, but uh, it, it was goddamn it was it worth it to uh, to give them a proper examination. Uh, Absolutely se- serious and mad and uh, and uh, belly laugh uh, at the same time. You know that's that's the podcast coverage as far as I'm concerned. So. <laughs> Uh, but uh, again, this has been Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network. And uh, podcastonfire.com is the website where this uh, show, all the other shows and the bonus episodes are located. Email podcastonfire. Uh, sorry, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Like our page at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF Network. Join the Facebook group. Uh, type in Podcast on Fire Network in the search bar uh, on Facebook and you'll find us. Tweet us at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. 
I've written off uh, both movies uh, on my site, so goodreviews.com, and I will also do little video reviews, not as uh, 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 greatly produced as your video review endeavor, but I do my very best. Uh, and that's lisakvideo.com. I also tweet at twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. Taiwan Noir is on iTunes, and if you like what you hear, a uh, little hero ghosty face, if that appeals to you, if uh, flying fetuses appeal to you. Leave us a star rating and a written comment telling you telling us how you felt about this whole these session shenanigans, if you will. Yeah, and if flying octopus fetuses don't appeal to you, get out. What's wrong with you? <laughs> really, take your pulse, man. Yeah, we 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 kind of uh, we we are we judge you. You know, we, we assume <laughs> we, you're a bad person because of this. We, yes, <laughs> we sit uh, in harsh judgment. <laughs> We pout at you as we exit the room. <laughs> you do not live up to the Taiwan <laughs> podcast standards of oh coolness. Yeah. Oh, boy. What, what does that say about us? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you don't want to download podcasts to your device from iTunes, you can stream via Stitcher Radio online and through the application available to your iPad, Android, or iPhone, and uh, type in Taiwan War in Stitcher to add us to your favorites. And finally, visit Golden Ninja Warrior, Warrior Chronicles uh, and their Taiwan Black Movies posts specifically that we link to in the show description, unearthing what the source movies were behind these uh, cut-and-paste uh, movies at IFD and Filmark, with, a, uh, uh, with uh, Taiwan being a featured, uh, um, a featured topic, uh, the Taiwan Black movies behind the Richard Harrison movies, if you will. Uh, so that's me. Your plugs uh, as well. Uh, again, Todd, so go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll try and not take up half the podcast, as, <laughs> I, as I already did. Die, Danger, Die, Die, Kill. That's my blog where I also have reviewed both of the films we talked about tonight. I have a review index. It's right over there in the right-hand column. Uh, the blog's called Die, Danger, Die, Die, Kill, affectionately known as 40K, and it's uh, Die, Danger, Die, Die, Kill dot blogspot dot com. Uh, and check out Teleport City for the great writing that Keith, Allison, and myself do on all kinds of crazy world cinema. That's teleport hyphen city.com uh the infernal brains podcast uh which you can access at tarstarkus.net and then uh, again what i'm really excited about and hyping extra extra this this time around is the series of 40k hosted movie tweet alongs where you can log on to twitter follow along follow a movie along with us on youtube you and should comment. do little hero dude as a tweet. Uh, we are going to do Zodiac Fighters. I couldn't find... Uh, I did look for Little Hero, but it has to be something that's on YouTube or Daily Motion or one of gotcha. the free streaming sites. So gotcha. I did. I was very happy to find Zodiac Fighters, and we will be doing that later on. The first one, which is on March 11th, will, which might be after this... Uh, it will. It or will. before. Okay so, okay, so upcoming then is... Uh, the. The next one will be Tuesday, April 8th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Attack of the Super Monsters. So I hope people can join us. Yeah, you had, a, you had a website for all of this as well, so get that. Oh, right. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's shoutdown.com, shout-down.com. And that'll give you the schedule of all of the movies we've come at. That we're going to be tweet along, tweeting along to over most of the rest of the 2014. 
Yeah, there's plenty of insane movies, so if you miss these particular three longs, there's plenty of them uh, coming up. Uh, so uh, I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be uh, watching and admire from a distance because I'm not on the right side of uh, the time zone, if you will. So, um, but uh, ha- have fun, and uh, that's a good, that's a cool endeavor. So, uh, but uh, we are done for Taiwan R this time. So I've been uh, Kennedy, and uh, with me was Top Statman. So uh, say goodbye, buddy. So uh, I'm speechless. This episode has left me speechless. Uh, let's go. A- let's go and throw some fetuses around. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. This was a fantastic episode. I love talking about these movies. So everybody, go check them out, and I'll we'll see you on the next on the next yeah. episode. We're looking at you. Yeah, we're gonna Creepy. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna find an, two more movies where. Where we see these animals through throw fetuses between <laughs> each other. Oh no, there's only one movie. God, uh, yeah. So, uh, but uh, thank you everybody for listening. Bye bye.